Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome to the Hot Nuance Book Club, a podcast in which a novelist, a screenwriter, and a podcaster walk into a book, diving into its craft and impact in their mission to bring nuance back. I'm Allie, and I'm a screenwriter and also the co-host of Wheel Takes and the creator of the Grinwell Cup on Twitter, which is probably my greatest achievement. I'm Aradia. I am one half of the Wheel of Time Spoilers podcast, currently reading Crossroads of Twilight, as well as a podcast producer for Fox and Raven Media. And I'm Brie, also known as one half of the best-selling romance, sci-fi, fantasy, kissing book author, Kit Rosha. Most recent project was the Mercenary Librarians trilogy with Tor, and I'm currently writing a very horny book about a very sexy dragon that comes out in November, and I just had a cover reveal. It was very exciting. The one time when you can judge a book by its cover. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Oh, a radio. So clever. We'll leave out how long it took me to come up with that. <laughs> uh, yeah exactly exactly that's what my favorite thing is about podcasts is you get to make yourself sound so much yeah. cleverer than you are long silence long silence clever retort <laughs> truncate silence <laughs> saves wheel takes it's a beautiful thing Bree, you want to take us back in time Welcome to Bree's Mostly Reliable Time Travel Adventures. Um, please keep your hands and feet inside the car as we zoom back to 1994. Speaking of zooming, the movie Speed is about to make Pop Quiz Hot Shot and Shoot the Hostage two of the 90s most quotable lines. Figure skater Nancy Kerrigan was attacked, beginning our 30-year obsession with Tanya Harding, and we still haven't managed to shake that. I still think she's a victim. Yes, like the nuance. <laughs> Want to talk about hot nuance? So much nuance. Oh, Tanya Harding. <laughs> I mean, kind of cold because of the ice skating, but okay. Yes. <laughs> cold nuance. Chilly nuance, but hot. Hot chilly nuance? I don't know. <laughs> but she was, but she's hot. True, so. true. <laughs> go to the You're Wrong About podcast if you want to go super deep on Tanya Harding because like, wow, there are episodes about that, like crazy. Speaking of other things that happened in 1994, the Netscape browser has just appeared on the scene. Stargate the movie has gated into our hearts. And in November of 1994, best-selling author Melanie Ron has decided to write a very confusing book that has stumped all of us by starting with three background summary chapters introducing us to three protagonists. And we're about to talk about the third one today. 
So welcome to The Ruins of Ombre by Melanie Ron. Here's my thing. I am enjoying myself immensely. Do I always know what the hell is going on? Absolutely not. But somehow I'm still very engaged. You know, I think, and I think it's becoming more clear. And I feel like the more we talk about it, the more I'm like, oh, I understand what's going on. So I feel like my understanding of this is going to increase exponentially as we talk about it. Yeah, it's very, um, normally when I start books, I just kind of breeze past all the stuff I don't understand. And I'm like, well, if it matters, I'll figure it out as it comes up. Or I'll reread the book later because I was a chronic rereader as a kid. And trying to have cogent thoughts, like, as the chapters unfold, just like in the moment is really, really unusual for me. I'm not used to trying to make sense of things this early on. Welcome. So it's like... Yeah, I've got notes and I'm confused and I have to like share my confusion instead of just breezing by like, no, I'm a book reader. I read lots of books. Look how quickly I'm turning the pages. I'm I know what's happening. Like, no, (laughs) now I have to expose my ignorance. But I am also very engaged and I need more of like the sexy hair escaping the quaff. Like for some reason, that is really doing it for me. The obsession (laughs) with hair is doing it for me. The stray locks of red hair. So titillating. Peeking out. Yes. I, I felt very validated because my hair always is like just escaping whatever I try to put it in because it's like half curly. It doesn't do me the decency of being full curly. It just curls just at my scalp. <laughs> and so there's no like hairstyle where things aren't escaping. So I felt very validated by that, that that was sexy somehow versus like what I think I look like, which is kind of like a greasy onion <laughs> with like weird tendrils coming out no the escaping tendrils of hair is big main character energy mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes that is a thing really this makes me so happy because i have been insecure about this my whole life no longer i'm telling you guys pay attention in books if you start paying attention every ha- big main character heroine's got braids with tendrils escaping at her temples they're always flying around that's the the metaphor for being like unable to confine her and bind her right (laughs) she's untamed i'm giving untamed energy that's own it that's what we've got (laughs) there's my my hint to you you guys are going to never be able to unsee this now because it's like everybody's got the little tendrils of hair flying free yeah that totally attracts that totally makes sense those baby hairs so let us talk about our main character for um this episode which is sarah sassy Sassy sarah Sarah. i dug her who i dug dug her her? she's awesome i love her so much i love her so much. speaking of main character energy Uh, which she she's (laughs) great we first saw her in colin's point of view she was the bratty little bratty little blood girl who you know basically gave him a lot of mouth and then was told to apologize and, you know, accepted his apology. I dug her then, too. <laughs> yeah, she was awesome. It's like, I hope she comes back. And then it's like, oh, no, she comes back. Oh, she's, she's coming back coming with a vengeance. Back. Yeah. <laughs> so I will tell you that is who is on the cover. That is Sarah on the cover. Oh, okay. um, cool, cool, cool. So she even makes the cover. I see. So she's she's cover important. Yeah. She is. I would say if I had to make a main, main character for this book, Sarah's probably pretty close to the top. Yeah. Excellent. Even though she's third in this list, but the list is descending by age. So that's where oh. she fit in. If you pay attention to it, Colin is the oldest and then Glennon. So he they did these chapters by starting as far back in history as possible. And then each one brings us forward a little bit. 
that's kind of been helpful though, because I feel like I kind of have a grasp on, okay, so this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And now, and now we're potentially getting into a really big, fun family feud situation, which sounds awesome. Love a feuding family. Three-way sister drama with the fate of kingdoms and worlds in the balance. So here for it. But now I'm like, how does Colin fit in? Is he like Aubrey's illegitimate son? Like, how is he important? That is the question, isn't it? It is... How is he important? Is he also part of the family somehow? Because he is who we started with, right? Right. Yeah. And the cousins are still missing. Mm -hmm. Like, because we now know where Sarah went, but like her two cousins, May and whatever her name is, are still missing. Maya and Ellen. Maya and Ellen are the two cousins. Well, you know me. I love a good mystery. I'm like, where are they? And if you are listening to this now, if you go to our Discord, I have expanded, I will have expanded the family tree that I am keeping to try to help everybody. And so I have it in our our, our episode notes for us right now, because this family tree is just getting more sprawling and more <laughs> confusing, but also more intertwined. <laughs> it's like my family. If it goes long enough, it's going to loop right back along on itself. So it's. <laughs> I know. They're like, this woman has like nine kids. And I went, please, God. <laughs> she has so many kids. That's a lot of I kids. I just had to line them all up in a row. I could not go horizontally with those kids because they would have just yeah. taken over the whole thing. I'm like, first of all, get off her. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not have some heart leaf tea in this world? Exactly. We're busy. Um, so the last two chapters. We skip through time a lot. And this one, there's only two main time periods that Sarah's chapters take place in. The first one, when we open up, they say Maiden Moon. They, they were said, actually, it had been bothering Sarah ever since they'd come to Austin Hold at Maiden Moon. And I went and got this calendar for you guys. And Maiden Moon is week 12 of the year. Spring, I'm assuming. Ombre was destroyed in weeks 20 through 22. So so we know from this opening chapter that Sarah has arrived at Austin Hold about 10 weeks before her home was destroyed. Yeah, it seems like they knew something was going to go down. Yeah. So that's the first question. Like, by the very first line, that's my first question for you guys. Why did they bug out of there 10 weeks ahead of whatever was going to happen? They knew something was up. And I'm like, was it Avery who wanted them out of the way? Or was it like, okay, what's his name? Des, something Des. Ronald Des. Yeah, he seems like he was maybe involved somehow or knew something was up. He's got some sort of Gandalfy vibes, you know. Yeah. Wizard, wizard Des. So yeah, he's, he's the strange wizard who swept into Colin's life to miraculously rescue him. And now he has swept into Glennon's life to miraculously rescue the bard. And now he has swept into Sarah's life to take her and her mother away from Ombre before anything can happen to them. There's a lot of miraculous rescue going on. Yeah, he's like a American Airlines of rescue like, <laughs> at this time. He's just like, popping up, come with me, let's go. Yeah. Yeah, he's just a- aware of... He's like, I'm going to be the guide in multiple plot lines. That's right. my and role. And he, Des was like involved with Avery in the last perspective because he was who came to get Avery to go heal Fallen Deer. 
Yeah, he came to get Aubrey to have Aubrey help him get Volandir out, basically. Jailbreak him. Right, right. Yeah. So and then and then there's this whole thing in this section about how like at first there's a public fight between the parents, and then like five weeks later there's the real fight between them. And Goronel Des is clearly like hovering around. So I figured that there was some sort of like oh, we realize that like the subterfuge we have is starting to get real and turn sour. And like, we know what the subterfuge play was going to be. And we don't want to be here for the fallout of if that actually happens or whatever other fuckery is happening. I'm really confused where Goronel Des lies in all this. I feel like he's a good guy because he keeps saving the protagonists. Yeah. But like, he's got his fingers in so many pies. (laughs) Here's the line that you're thinking of. Last summer, after a very public and very noisy fight, followed by a very private and very tender farewell, he had gone away to Rika court. Mehin Ambri explained it to her two daughters as a necessary deception. But on Wraithen Day, Avri Farin returned to Ambre, and this time no gentleness followed the shouting. After five horrible days, he claimed Glennon and took her away with him forever. Yeah, like something, something changed. Something happened. So they had some sort of plan, and then... He backed out of the plan. Well, it feels like he... It feels like it was potentially, like, do you want to be in love and potentially kind of away from court and have no power? Or do you want to divorce and have a bunch of power all of a sudden? It feels like he had to, like make a choice right yeah you think he he think he was chose had to choose between punch card first counselor and passionate love but no power that's what it's presented as but i can't help but wonder if there's something else that's like beyond murder punch card plotting because this is a really big betrayal and like people will do the weirdest shit for their kids right like even more than for power or for revenge like doing shit for your legacy for your heirs is like the biggest motivator sometimes behind people with all this like power stuff so i wonder if like it's actually like yes i'm betraying you but it's actually to say like i don't know i just i'm not convinced that we have seen the bottom of of the turtles that are making up his plan mm well, he does seem to be deep in with these Weaver people, the Weaver magic. Right. And so, I mean, it could be that yeah. he thinks that's how he makes the better world for his kids. Just light fascism where he gets to declare they're the best fascists. Well, if there's one thing that solves all problems, <laughs> it's light right. fascism. Light fascism. Uh, historically, it has always right. This is where I wish we had a soundboard and you could just make that little like... I can't put in sound effects after the fact. But yeah. Yeah, it's like, so, mm. I just, I don't see how Murder Punch Card Lady is fully on board with him becoming the dictator of fascism for his daughters to have magic safety. I feel like Murder Punch Card Lady is not fully on board with that, and she is simply a means to an end. That's my current suspicion. I mean, we haven't seen much of her. We've We've heard a lot of her. I think that, you know, we saw her get very mad at a musician and maim him for singing a song that, you know. Who among us hasn't? (laughs) Perfectly Just over dinner. (laughs) She's gaslight, gatekeeping, and girl bossing all over the place. If a man did this, no one would care. (laughs) And we stand. (laughs) 
I don't know if I we quite can, but maybe a little. Equal opportunity. Dictators. I'm like, I'm like, I, where do I draw the line at supporting women's wrongs? And I think <laughs> it's probably cutting out tongues at dinner. I mean, it's, uh, he didn't like come up and like, here's Wonderwall. You know? <laughs> well, in which case, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. So. <laughs> Haven't you ever just read a really mean tweet at yourself and wanted to cut their tongues out? Okay, but I mean, over dinner. <laughs> yeah, he was just, he was subtweeting her. Just, just wait until like the after. It, it, it's just very, very, very uncouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's gauche. Yes. It's gauche to cut someone's Quite. tongue out over dinner. So, so she seems not great, but we haven't really spent a lot of time with her yet. So we don't really know what her like personality, I think, is like what her end goals is and how much she's working with these weavers or being used by them or using them. It seems like she's also killing the mages for sure. Like they're going around and they're like sacrificing some mages to keep her sated. And Glennon is the one kind of pointing her to who those magic people are. Yes, we do find out that later in the chapter. She's going around killing mages and they're like basically letting themselves get caught so that she will be satisfied and not go out looking for more. Which again, I feel like this is a means to an end person, not a mastermind. She's very easily led by the nose and willing to believe what happens. She's offended by a song. She just accepts that the mages are, she's so clever. She's getting all of them. Like, there's no way that this is actually who Avri, the smart, ruthless person, is subsuming himself to. Like, no, he's climbing over her. Mm. It does seem like it. She's definitely got some emotional regulation issues as someone who has them. I mean, I feel like that's the only way you do cut out a bard's tongue at dinner over, like, you know, a slightly mocking song. It's a really rude so. <laughs> She was really. I mean, yeah, yeah, it was politically dangerous. And so that was true. Have you ever had someone hate you so much they wrote a song about you? I have not, but it gives Taylor Swift. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally reminds me of the energy behind an Alanis Morissette album. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He just went in with You Ought to Know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that was violent. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He attacked. Yeah. He attacked first. No. And then she was just like, kill all mages. Okay. But okay, wait. So I'm confused just about one quick thing about the mages and the weavers. So the weavers sacrificed themselves also to also look like they went away. So the weavers, what we learned in the last chapter was that the weavers basically, first they, they organized the downfall of most of the mages. And then they organized what was supposed to be their own downfall, except for most of them lived. So, like, 90% of the mages died and 10% of them survived their downfall. And then the weavers had a quote-unquote downfall, but for them, 90% of them escaped invisibly and 10% were visually sacrificed. So, it's like, oh, now everything's equal. They've both been destroyed. Except for but they're like, no, we have, yes. we have the numbers and now we're controlling politics because Glennon's in there. And they, they basically exist invisibly now. Now nobody knows they're really there. But they're all politically active like Glennon. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah, nobody knows what Glennon is. So, I mean, how many other people out there? Who else are we going to meet? We have to like wonder. I mean, it's kind of like dark friends in the Wheel of Time. You know, anyone you meet could be one of them. We don't we don't know. 
Well, okay, wait. So, thoughts. He tried, Aubrey, to get into politics as a mage, which you can't do. Like, under your magic, you can't get involved in politics because then you are too powerful. Um, So he tried to get into politics in the Ombre court, but they put the kibosh on that. And then they had this public fight so that he had an excuse to go over to another court where he might be able to gain some political traction. But then he was realizing, oh, if I buddy up to dumb, what's your face? Punch card lady. And, 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 Anise? Anise, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Anais. Okay. So if I buddy up to her, she's going to like, let me kind of do what I want and I can lead her by the nose. But if I've got wifey over here, there's going to be like limitations to what I can manipulate maybe. And so he went back and took Glennon. Having a politically powerful wife with an extremely powerful family who, because of laws, controls him. Because she legally, basically, remember, would quote-unquote basically own him. I mean, he can't own property while he's married to her. He can't, you know, control anything. So there are definitely reasons why he would not want a powerful wife hanging around if he's got plans. I don't think he really loved her. I think he was using her as a means to an end. And then that end did not pan out. So he was like, cool, I'm a pivot. What I fail to grasp is how the daughters fit into it. Yes. Because there's clearly more than just the primogeniture of it. Like there's something to do with the magic, which I suspect has to do with the eyes, because eyes apparently are the windows to the soul in this world or something. (laughs) And I'm not clear on how having the heir versus denying the mother the heir versus like having the mage born like i'm very curious about how the daughters fit into this struggle because he's like i'm gonna take the one but you can keep the other and i was like what is this horse trading with your children do they have different like attributes in your like magic metaphysical struggle well it seems like it right because sarah's definitely got like perception She's really perceptive. She's got Matilda brain or something. Yeah. She's like, well, I make assumptions and they're correct. Is basically, which, you know. Extremely same. nonlinear but- thinking. <laughs> I'm going to give you like a tiny spoiler from later. They actually give this a name. They call it gut jumping. Gut jumping. I which I think is like, that. I've always loved that. It's I just basically that. she, she has crazy strong instincts. And when she feels like she knows something, her brain has like subconsciously done the work and figured it all out. Same. No, I'm just kidding. Or maybe her magic. Yeah, that's that's the ADHD, all the details and the synthesis and the <laughs> and all the empathy. Yeah, don't you sometimes feel like you've got that? Like it's Absolutely. just some, you know, for three hours you have no idea what to say, and then all of a sudden it's just like I just have solved it all, and well, I don't yeah. know where. Do, do y'all have the ADHD powers where you walk into like a restaurant and you notice which couple's fighting? <laughs> sometimes, yeah. I'll turn to Gus and I'll be like, that table, that table's fighting. Like, they're really upset. And he'll be like, how do you know? And I go, I, d- I could tell. And then I will watch them go back and forth. <laughs> I'm so nosy. But there's like stuff like that. There's hypervigilance vibes. I feel like, like, when you are neurodivergent and you have spent so much of your life hyper aware of like how you come off to people and also how they're responding to how you come off to them, you get like this vague superpower where you just like know you can read body language really well sometimes because it's not like you've 
understand people, but you've got this like defense dictionary built up in your head, like defensive self-defense idea of like what every little body language symbol means danger. Well, because you have to study it. Yeah. It's masking. It's like how are you, like, yeah, you, you study it. You, you make you make people your special interest, you study how they behave, and then you are really fucking good at pattern recognition because... Yes. How can you not be? Practice makes perfect, right? But yeah, she she has a level of it that is clearly magically enhanced because she's super cognizant and super aware at a way too young age and then is just like preternaturally talented at it as a teenager. And it's like... So, that, so like with the way we are, but like... With none of the side effects and extra, yes, extra octane. <laughs> These are precocious kids in general. Glennon was extremely politically, and I mean, she was raised from birth to be like the most powerful political woman, basically in the world, like of the biggest family. But like in last chapter, Glennon was very aware of the politics of situations, even at a young age. But Sarah's like five in this opening scene. She was manipulative too. She was like. I will be more powerful with this person who bullies me, but I won't be her friend, but I'll like pretend and we'll both pretend like she's very manipulative. Yes, she she is very, I mean, political. She's political from the start. Here's where our interests lie. We will become allies. We won't become friends, but we will become allies to, you know, rule over all the other people our age. Yeah. I mean, the only person she seems to be actually close to is her father. And like the tutor, the creepy tutor. Yes, uh, red flag tutor. Red flag tutor. Oh, all over the place. That man, not good. Oh, there were some red flags in this one as well. I felt. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let's let's go back. Um, it starts, she's five years old, and they have just arrived at Ombre. And I think that there is something that is um, significant here, or they have just arrived at Austin Hold because they've left eight, nine weeks ago. So they're discussing basically, 
you know, we're getting some information about the waste and we're learning about the Austin family a little more. But there is something, speaking of daughters, that's pretty significant here, which is that her mother is pregnant. Out of nowhere, like, oh, by the way. He doesn't acknowledge it. Does Aubrey know? That was the very first thing I thought. Does Aubrey know? Is it too soon? Well, I think that there's a line in here that I, I read to you guys that I think that we should, you know, a very private and very tender farewell that happened oh, yeah. um, last oh, summer. Yeah. And now she's pregnant. Okay. Yep. So then the timing is interesting of him destroying Ombre because they arrive week 12. And then it's eight weeks later and she's super duper pregnant. Yeah. And they attack and she goes into labor. Yeah. Yeah. So they get her, they get her out of there 10 weeks. Uh, basically before, you know, well, she before she's super pregnant. Does Aubrey know? I mean, that is definitely a very important question. And my question, too, is, did Des, what was it? The Gornal Des. Des. Gornal Des, did he smuggle them out there as a betrayal of Aubrey? Because it seemed like they were working together last chapter, or at least were friendly in some way. But obviously, Aubrey is also targeting mages, so prob- maybe not. Is he doing this as a betrayal of Aubrey, where he's like, "We, I got to get them out of here? Or is he doing it as a, like, on Aubrey's orders? I assumed the latter. It was like, I want to murder my wife's family, but not my actual wife and child. Make sure that they get out. Just murder everyone else. See, I, I had assumed the former. I'm checking something quick. Looking at when... The bard thing happened. Okay, Sailor's Moon, week 18. That is right before the ombre stuff went down. So basically, when we see him, he probably goes after the bard is hurt. That's when he starts the ombre thing. So when um, Gornal Desk goes to ask him to help save the bard... He has already, it's been eight weeks since he smuggled the wife and Sarah away. Sarah and her mom. So he already knows he's taken her away and hidden her somewhere. And I believe Aubrey asks how she is. And he's like, how do you think she is? Oh. And one thing Glennon says in her point of view that I don't know if you guys caught is that when she looks at Gornal Desh, she thinks this must have been her father's famous teacher. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. So this was basically, I think Gornal Dust showed up and was like, you know, yeah, you owe me one and I took a bet on you and it clearly went to shit. So you better do this last thing for me. He's giving Anakin vibes. Little bit, yeah. <laughs> little, little, little bit. He's giving Anakin. Okay, so, so, okay, so he, so Ari definitely knows that she was smuggled away. Yes. But they don't want him to know that she's pregnant. Um, I, we have not. Any information, I think, yet either way. So, I mean, I think that, do you think that if he thought she was pregnant, he would be reacting in a different way if he knew? Yeah, his actions don't read like a man with a pregnant wife. Like, especially given that they split up the daughters, like, as part of this messy divorce thing. I feel like if he knew she was pregnant, that would that would really play into things. And probably, like, she was going to tell him, but that was the day he came back and they fought and everything went to shit. And, like... 
Well, and he already took one of her kids. Like, I don't feel like she's going to want to be like, there's another one you can have as well. Right. So it's like, this kid's going to be like a secret even from Aubrey, which also means she's going to be a secret from Glennon. Because Glennon has, you know, decided to go with her dad. And so... Glennon never mentions That's her. complicated. Yeah. That's going to be... That's going to be an interesting revelation when Glennon gets hit in the face with a surprise sister. If she ever finds out. There's a lot of pages here. I'm assuming she finds out. <laughs> well, like, but wouldn't it be so dramatic if she, like, killed her and then found out after? Very, like, Oedipus. <gasps> the drama! That would... I could see that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The There's a world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's not being raised by the nicest people. It's it's the it's the fascists yeah. who think the fascists went wrong somewhere. So Oof. she's not giving protagonist vibes. <laughs> no, she's giving antagonist vibes. <laughs> mm-hmm. At best, anti-hero vibes. Yeah. Definitely, Sarah, we see some more. I'm gonna, I'm looking through here. Um there's a lot about the Austin blood and basically world building here about Austin Hold where they all live and this is something where they start to talk about how the families are really organized and i think aradia you had like asked if there were people who weren't part of this tier structure and there's really not there's like 300 names and you are part of one of these names but just because that there's people like lady lillen who are like the first daughters of first daughters of first daughters there are also people who were probably related to them last time like 38 generations ago and so it's they're basically strangers. They just have the last name, same last name. Right. So there is definitely like a nobility versus a regular people thing. It's just not necessarily divided along names. The names actually transcend the socioeconomic tiers. Yeah. And it, it's, it is how close you are to the prime line of the name. And then after that, how well the person who is the prime, you know, first daughter of the name, takes care of the people under her um, responsibility. And I think in this chapter, we see a lot about how Lady Lillian, um, Lillian Austin, spends a lot of time taking this obligation very seriously and trying to take care of everybody. So she's got a thousand people who live at her, you know, hold, and they're just constantly building new parts onto it and ugly, sprawling structure to just make more room for whoever else she has. If they have as many kids as she does, yeah, there's going to be a fucking million of them. She does have nine kids. I mean, they made that joke in 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 the first in the first perspective. They made that joke about how like the the animals that they raise breed like Austins, and it's like kind of crude. But it's like you are a fertile fucking family, and everyone related to you is extremely fertile. And I like the vibe of that. Like it's just it's rambling and chaotic and like cozy through its just familial fullness like it definitely gave the safe haven to put the protagonist so that they can age and become a good person who has a good moral compass kind of energy you know like this is the shire this is the two rivers like there's just this yeah this bustling spring-like agrarian sort of vibe that was fun but fancy but fancy it feels <laughs> like the, the house that i picture is kind of like what's that what's that mansion there was that woman. The Winchester house. That's yes! where my mind went to. <laughs> yes. That is exactly. That was it. I was like, there was a woman and there was a I, I knew right where you were going. Yeah. And she was worried. I saw the creepy her- trailer with Helen Mirren in it and decided not to watch the movie. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but the Winchester house. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. Additions everywhere. 
you know, because she just has to keep taking more and more people in, which is a great place to hide an orphan, right? Mm-hmm. Or the alternate reason, she's afraid of ghosts. Yes, she might be. <laughs> in the Winchester The mansion. wraiths. The, the wraiths, wraith. because they are yes. wraiths. They talk about the wraith and wood a lot, mm. which might be a place we hear more about. So, yeah, so she, Sarah and her mother go to take refuge here in this sprawling, messy hold. And when word comes that her home has been destroyed, we get some premature labor and a baby being born. And Sarah finding out that this baby is being born and it's going very badly because I guess, you know, Maybe being a tiny woman who's in shock because her husband just murdered, like, literally all of her family and 50,000 people in her town. You know, probably not the the way you'd want to try to pop out a baby. Yeah, and it goes on for, like, days. It's one of yeah. those, like, really awful death by childbirth that takes days. And, like, she doesn't actually die in childbirth. She dies in a coma days later, but it's still just, like... Fucking medieval Damn. childbirth, man. Knock it off. Knock it off. I mean, I'm going to have to say, I feel like it is proper that you're giving all the power in this series to the people who have to go through this shit. I, I'm <sighs> saying, I think we fucked up. <laughs> yeah, this is society. Hot take. But I'm going to say this. What do you guys think about the fact that they have, this is, the, these people who are carrying on this bloodline are the most important people in this world. And they have not focused all their, their fucking energy on improving birth. Well, I did appreciate one thing, which is that they were, she was in labor in like a labor chair as opposed to on her back. Yes. Because, <laughs> because that's how they used to do it. Right. But then there was that French king with a birth kink who was like, I want to see better. So lie down on your back. And then we just decided that was the way to do it forever. Is what I heard. I have heard that. I have heard that rumor. I don't know if it's true or not, but I have heard that too. I think I read a Twitter thread. (laughs) Regardless of whether or not it's based on a kink, I have read that that is actually not the optimal. No, it's not. It's not. It's definitely not. We like zigged when we should have zagged in that regard and like there's a lot to be said wrong about the era when the birthing chairs were in use and the ideas around medical care but maybe the positioning wasn't the, positioning the problem was <laughs> yeah the positioning was correct we we definitely had something there whereas like lying on your back causes more problems so i think in a matriarchal society that they would go you know what this is actually better and we're gonna stick with yeah. that which i kind of appreciated as a potential thoughtful detail and i mean they also did say that like it's not just like her specific situation in that moment being stressed out they also said like yeah she's narrow-hipped and had a hard time with giving birth like you're going with the human design anatomy like yeah yeah the skull versus pelvis thing is kind of a limiting reagent on our evolution so they are human they are gonna it have is, that it problem. is it is a problem that needs solving but you'd think um, that their magic shit would have inspired some innovations maybe possibly I, I do feel like if i were you know going to to use this as a setup these days i would definitely spend more time on like reproductive medicine and refining it and having like greater advances in it i mean you would think yeah in a matriarchal society that'd be priority number one but you know that's that's i think i think at the end of the day 
you know, I, I don't love that pregnancy is often like in fiction, this like sort of uh, black box where you just like, you don't know what's going on inside, but drama and pain comes out for women. Like, like since we were talking about Star Wars, you know, uh, poor Padme just like pops out some twins and then like the robot's like, well, she died of the sads. Sorry, can't do anything. What the fuck was yeah, that? What? what the fuck? We didn't even that? know she was having twins, even though she was a senator, presumably with the best health care in the galaxy. And they just were like, you know, she satted to death. Because that's a, th- a thing. That's a thing. That's the thing that people do. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, Sarah's mother might have satted to death a little bit, but also blood loss and exhaustion from multiple days. Yeah. 48 hours. <laughs> Being pregnant in fiction is never good. It's just never good. No. It's never good for the woman ever. Or it's so good that it's not realistic at all. And it's like, that was nonsense. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're like, oh, you, like, you, it was painless. It was fast. Well, it was actually funny because I texted a friend after she had a baby. She was my first friend to have a baby. And I texted her. I was like, how was it? Like, how was it? I was curious. And she goes, don't tell anyone. It really wasn't that bad. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, for some women, it's it's like not. No. For some women, it's not. And for some women, it's like the most traumatic and worst day of their life. It just, but, and both are valid. And no, I feel like we don't give space for either of those things. Yeah. It's like, you either die or it's the easiest thing that's ever happened to you. Or like, but it's like weirdly romanticized mm-hmm. where, where she was just kind of like, I mean, it wasn't fun, but like, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. It was kind of like, Fine. <laughs> you know, and she's like, I had a baby. It was great. Well, that's good. That I is, mean, that's, yeah, I was yeah. like, that's wow. the dream. Manifest. <laughs> <laughs> my, my co-writer, um, uh, had a, I mean, like almost got killed by doctor in a situation with her first baby. My nephew who was going to college, like, I can't believe, um, this fall, he was an 11 and a half pound baby and she's five feet oh, tall. Oh, 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 God. So let me just tell you the math was not mathing there. Oof, that's bad. That's scary. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the worst thing I've ever heard. You know, it's, a, it's similar. Like I know women who have like ha- almost died, had really traumatic, awful experiences. And then I know women who are like, don't tell anyone it really was like a walk in the park, but I don't feel like I could say that because, well, not a walk in the park, but like it really wasn't that bad comparatively to what I've, I, what I was expecting. Cause I all, cause when you're pregnant, apparently a lot of women like to come up and tell you they're like birth horror stories. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 Which don't. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> the trauma stories. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. I, I, I watched that baby come into the world and that was enough for me. I was like, you know what? This is now my child, too. <laughs> you are my heir. <laughs> I know someone who had their child watch their sibling being born. And I think that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I just, I mean, do what you want. Do your thing. But like, I was just like, what? I don't, I wouldn't look at that situation and go, you know what would make this even more fun is to have a child. <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah. No. Which is why it would... Sarah like pokes her head in. I'm like, girl, no, you don't need to see that. Yeah, but she's also like precocious and has been listening and knows that there's a problem and is being kept in the dark. So I can see her taking the agency to be like, no, I'm going to get some goddamn information because that's clearly her her whole MO. Were you going to say something, by the way? Uh, I was going to say, I I know, I also know women on all ends of the birthing pain spectrum. My mother-in-law had four children with 
no problems whatsoever, no pain, like just eerie, like who has an experience like that? What? But she's told me the story many times that she just was like, oh, I guess that's happening. And then there's, you know, like my mom who loves to tell me about how I took 26 hours to come into the world. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Yeah. Same. I, I took forever. And my mom loves to bring that up. She's like, you've always been late. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, it's just like, I know for a fact that the full range of the human experience has not been accurately presented to me in any form of media, print or otherwise. Yeah, I just feel like there's no nuance between the two experiences. It's either like, oh, that was like, romanticized, easy, perfect, or it's like a horror show of like blood and horror and death. And they or like weird, sad death, where they're like, I'm saddened to death. I like had went to labor, I was so upset, and then just off to myself. Sadly, there is called the midwife for trying to approach the space of of having multiple variations on that story. But it is only about childbirth. It's yeah. not like inserted into something else. It's focused on that. That show is my comfort show. <laughs> so I appreciate you bringing it up because uh, like there's al- it's always like what's best for baby and then we get to the end and like everything's usually fine I don't know a single character's name <laughs> I can't tell you a single fucking plot of that show but I have seen like every episode <laughs> I don't know what their names are I don't care but they're like all so lovely mm-hmm. and they just and everything usually ends up fine and like sometimes you learn things about like the development of the technology that we use today and why we do new things. That part's fun. I love the period shit. It's so cool. Yes, that stuff is very cool. So it's comfort. They're like, ooh, this pill from across the ocean is apparently a thing now. That's going to change everything. It's so cool. Yeah. Well, when they add like gas. Yeah, yeah. Like, and then some of them are like, against it god wants us to suffer god wants us to suffer like (laughs) because we're not be able to feel everything it's like a whole thing and like when when hospitals start doing like birthing wards and stuff again like it's interesting and they're like it's threatening our you know profession yeah it's so interesting so i have a great grandmother who um actually started a maternity hospital she did not want to get married she was a youngest daughter in a, a f- well-off, fairly well-off family. And she was like, I don't want to get married. I think I want to start a laying-in hospital, which is what I believe that they were called. And so she just started a hospital and where people just came to give birth. As you casually do. You just casually yeah, just, just She was such like a plucky, she's like a romance heroine. Because of course, then someone died in the hospital and left a widower with a newborn and a two-year-old. And she married him. Aww. That is like an episode of Call the Midwife. Literally. Literally. That's that is excellent. literally Call the Midwife. Yeah. Wow. So that, that, is, that is how my grandfather came into the world. That's so. wild. What a story. I love hearing stuff like that, like about people's cool relatives. Just you just know? a cool, I mean, just a total, total romance novel right there. That is, you should write it. <laughs> you have the power. You I have the technology. Have the technology. <laughs>
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But speaking of novels, do we want to get back to this one? <laughs> ADHD sidetrack. Yeah. Okay. So, so Sarah sees sees her um her mother in labor and really hurting and like really not well. And her little five year old brain goes, "I need to go get a healer mage. I'm going to do this." That's correct. So she runs outside and she jumps on a horse. And starts rolling down the road because the five-year-old logic says, if I ride out on this horse, I'm going to find what I need. And then there's this wonderful line that I really love, which is, as an adult, Sarah would believe with all of her considerable intellect in the Mage Guardian's creed. That evening, however, formed in her a faith that went beyond logic and reason. She had ridden no more than a mile before another rider appeared and became recognizable as Gornaldess. Not a healer mage, true, but a mage nonetheless, and she had found him. That he had already been on his way to Austin Hold had nothing to do with it in the mind of a five-year-old girl. She, Sarah, had decided what was needed and done it. Without thought to herself for the consequences, or indeed much thought at all, she had done what was necessary. It would become the pattern of her whole life. Okay, so she is giving neurodivergent representation. Is what I'm <laughs> she is just like, impulse, action. Result. Impulse, action. Result, and usually positive. Yeah. Yeah, so, so this is where she decides she's just going to, you know, figure out what needs to be done, do it, and move along. It really reminded me of how Glennon sort of decided on her purpose and how she wanted to move through the world. Granted, Glennon was older at that moment, but it... You, you can see the family resemblance and how they have a formative experience. And then the book tells you, and then that was how they were for the rest of their lives. It's just like yeah. they make up their minds young and on very dramatic things. Well, Glennon decides she wants to be the government. She wants to have all the power. Sarah, Sarah decides, decides she wants to be the resistance. <laughs> Sarah decides she wants to help people. If someone needs help, she's going to go out and do whatever needs to be done to get them the help. So, like, that was, you know, I think that's really interesting. And you're right. It's like they just made those two decisions that were going to dramatically shape perhaps a collision course between them later in life. Well, the part where she literally decides that she's going to become part of the resistance, whether or not the resistance wants her, is like, <laughs> well, that's going to be some fireworks between the sisters later. <laughs> yeah, that's that's going to go well with the family reunion. So the baby is born. Her name is Kylette. Kylette. Okay. And that's how we're going to say it, Kylette. Cool, cool, cool. cool. Glad we decided Kylet. on that. I think it's actually Kaylette. I'm There's a rough pronunciation guide in the back, but a lot of it is just so... I, I've said it as Kylette in my head for years, so that's where we're no, going. You are the voice of God on this one. Okay. I was giving it a little French, like Calais, Calais. but I like Kylette. <laughs> and she is boy, uh, named for St. Catarai the Fiery-Eyed, because she was born during wildfire, which is what oh, this week cool. is. Fire girl. Yes. So, girl on yes. fire. We love a girl on girl fire. Girl on fire. Katniss. 
So yeah, she's got this baby, new little baby sister, and she's very excited. And she has a chat with Gornal Des, who is basically like, you know, um, you're going to have to be given a new name. And she's like, yeah, I know. And my sister can't come with me because my dad can't know about her. And he's like, you don't even have your adult teeth yet. How are you figuring this out? <laughs> so he doesn't know about her. Okay. okay, okay. That's the confirmation. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> Secret baby. And like nobody was talking about it either. Like the whole like pregnancy, they were just like yeah, pretending it wasn't it. there. So like yeah. that partially was her compartmentalizing, but also maybe like there's no rumors of a yeah. pregnancy f- to get back to offering. Yeah. She's like, I just look like this. Yeah. (laughs) It's a goiter. So she was just pregnant. Nobody really talked about who they were while they were there. And so, you know, Gornaldess has this little talk with Sarah about, like, how she has to go away and have a new name and there have to be secrets because her dad can't know about her or her little sister. So Sarah is, like, really sad because she doesn't want to lose this little sister she has the way she lost Glennon. And unfortunately, this section ends with, no, she wouldn't lose Kylette too. Not forever, the way sure instinct told her she'd lost father and elder sister. And mother, for making Ambry never left Austin Hold. She died without ever waking from a coma compounded of blood loss, exhaustion, and heartbreak. Her body was burned in secret, and the next day, Gornal Dest took Sarah, no longer Ombre, to live in Sheev. And he, like, wiped her memories of that. Yeah, he does a Colin to her. He just like does Colin's the, that thing again. Yeah, pulls a, pulls a Colin. So yeah, he erases the memory of her little sister from her mind huh. he, before he he locks it away because locks it she away. Unlocks it and gets it all back when she locks yes. eyes yeah, with she her. She sees her thirteen eyes. years yeah. later. But yeah. So yes, we pick up with her when she's, I believe, eighteen. Yeah. I was confused when Te- Tag Tag showed up. Tag, Tag yeah. Tag. When Tag showed up and she was like, "There's some guy named Tag." I was like, "You were like, yeah. Friends. What happened? She's the one you Why like you most. How do you not remember? Like, yeah. I mean, I guess you're five. And so I was like, okay, maybe she was just so young because, like, I don't remember everything from when I was five. But I was like, you're pretty sharp, kid. You seem to recall things pretty well. You're like five going on 30. And then you don't remember. So I was so confused for a minute until they were like, oh, her memories were wiped at that moment. And then I went, that makes more sense than what I Exactly the same thought process I went through as I was reading it. Like, what? What? Oh. Now, I got to (laughs) say, for a, a protagonist rescuing magic man, Gornal Des is pretty free with fucking with people's heads. It's twice now. Once would have been, but now it's twice. And I'm like, how many other protagonists is he seeding around the continent? (laughs) (laughs) And and taking away their memories, which is, we gotta, we gotta really like discuss. That's a pretty sharp violation. Well, and it's interesting because he wipes her memories, but that formative experience of like, I'm going to help people still stays with her. Like, it's not, she doesn't remember the moment, but she does still have that attitude. Yeah. So it did still shape her, even though she doesn't remember it, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if he took away that part. He might have, but he definitely took away anything about her sister. So, I mean, she probably did, because why else would she have been riding the horse out? Exactly. Yeah, to blank out the entire pregnancy and everything. 
So she still was shaped by a moment she doesn't remember, which is kind of interesting. So the memories that get wiped can still have effects on you. Yeah. Which is kind of like true about memories, right? You don't necessarily remember like things that maybe traumatized you mm-hmm. or yeah. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, your your brain sometimes likes to wipe things that actually were formative. Right. Yeah, I think that the neural pathways are formed even if you don't remember how they got that way. Right. Yeah. Maybe something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's maybe a little morally gray to go around. I mean, definitely this is a... Yeah, definitely a, a, Right. I'm not sure if we'd call it a wheel of time compulsion thing, but I mean, it's it's a little bit that kind of you're you're telling somebody don't remember these things about you when you're not giving them a choice. He does say that like they were going to like clue her into her history, like when she was old enough. And I do kind of get that. I mean, you know, children aren't real human beings is like a very real vibe that I disagree with yeah. strongly, but it is a very real vibe. Uh, and so protect like, them for their own best interest. Yeah, like they can't consent. They they don't have consent to give, which means that you get to consent for them. And like when you're the magic man who's dealing with these parents that are going to go to war, you're like, no, I'm just going to like wipe the kids' memories here and there and I'm doing it for their own good. And like, I hate it, but like they are children yeah. and that's logic. Well, children are definitely an oppressed group. Right. Like if you think about Very it. Very much. I mean, certainly they are. And sometimes you can justify it as like, they are children, right? A toddler cannot necessarily make great nutritional decisions, right? <laughs> so you're like, you do need to have some guidance and control over the situation. Obviously, you need to have boundaries and, you know, all this stuff. But I think that there is a lot of conversation that's happening nowadays about like treating children as people and giving them as much agency as you can over a situation right Mm -hmm. like explaining your boundaries to them rather than just like going because i said so or you know punishments being emotionally regulated and agreed upon and you know discussed all those kinds of things and like measured and not like striking a child but like once upon a time that was like that was love like (laughs) your kids because you love them and want them to be good people. And it's now it's like, oh, maybe that's not going to teach children the emotional regulation that you want them to have. Maybe but I, I mean, I also get it, though, because it's like this is a huge secret. And do you really trust a five-year-old to keep a secret? Even a really smart one? Right. Probably not. Right. I mean, that, I think Probably that's the not. thing. I mean, did he make the right choices? I mean, I guess maybe. But, but are it's, they icky? It, it yeah. little, a little icky. I want to just note the little little bit of ickiness here. What? We have morally gray magic people in my giant novel? What? <laughs> <laughs> Hot nuance. <laughs> Hot nuance. Is it the right thing to do? Probably. But is it icky? Definitely. Yes. <laughs> Definitely icky to do to somebody. I feel like it was more, even more icky and, and confusing that he did it to Colin. Well, he did it to Colin at 18. So I do, I do feel like when he, um, at 18, Colin maybe was old enough to decide whether or not he wanted to forget the bard. You know, he took yeah. something really important. Like, that was his father figure. And he could still play very well. So again, the memories, right, you still right. have the skills and the... Impressions. Like, neuropathways. Yeah. But you, do, uh, but you don't necessarily remember how you got them. How weird would it be to be 
really skilled at, a, at something and not remember how you got there. Ugh, that would be so bizarre. Like reverse Alzheimer's or something. Yeah. I mean, this dude is also out here playing literally Fallendeer's like lost loot, playing his songs on them with no idea that he's like got the most r- revered instrument of all times and that he learned to play it from the guy whose songs he's singing. I mean, that's kind of wild. And like, I, that's it almost feels worse that they took away his memories of his mentorship because like you take away like traumatic memories and state secrets from a five-year-old. Like, what are they losing? They're losing the blurry impressions of a five-year-old. You take an 18-year-old and you take away his mentorship. Like, that's a much bigger part of his emotional growth. Like, like the first person in his life who truly showed him love and like. Yeah. Right. Whereas like my memories are real patchy before age five, you know, like. Yeah. Real, real patchy. So it's not a huge loss because she might not have remembered them anyway. Right. Especially with all the trauma. Like, right? that's a lot of trauma. I can relate. You know, you, there are holes after that. Yeah. And I'm kind of okay with taking away from a kid, like, the sight of seeing your mother bleeding to death. Like, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm like, not fully okay with it, but I'm kind of like. It's a different vibe that's, that's than. That's the worst thing to lose because I mean, then you grow up with that, you right, know, right. being a part of your conscious, maybe it was like good in a way that she didn't remember that necessarily. Like there are things with little kids where you're like, I'm kind of glad they don't remember this period or this event. But yeah, I, I just feel like it would be so weird and, and violating to like have this skill and had this incredible relationship. And he, now he just doesn't remember any of it. It's kind of mean. Yeah. And it's clearly made him cranky, as we're going to see, because we meet him later on He again. does so, seem like a bit of a, a loose dick. cannon, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so we catch up with Sarah. She's 18. She's on a trip with her um, Agatine, who was her, like, adoptive mother. They're at a ball in Pindrin, which is just, you know, she's not enjoying the rustic place. And yes, her maid comes in saying that the hottest hottie who has ever hotted has yes, arrived. It's our- <laughs> I love her. Yes. I love her. She's so fun. <laughs> is so horny. <laughs> is she the one that's always praising... She's, she's the one who's always praising men by that one saint, right? Saint Geridian. Yeah. 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 I'm just <laughs> Only like, Saint Geridian. So thirsty. This is the Elsie Grinwell of the series. Yes, Therese is the Elsie Grinwell. She comes in. And, and that's why I instantly loved her. You know I love a horny woman. As and Ingrid Welcome love, for the audience, if you're paying attention. I love that there was a saint of huge schlongs. That yes. <laughs> the saint stallion. of horse dick. <laughs> the, patron, the patron saint of horse dick. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. I'm gonna, I got to read her full. She ticked off the attributes on her fingers. Tall, lean, perfect shoulders, long legs, gray eyes like pools of silver and sunshine, cheekbones to sigh for, smile to die for, mouth luscious as a ripe plum, and as for what's beneath those scandalously undone lower buttons of his long vest, holy St. Caridian. <laughs> so much thirst. So that's a horny girl, and we love to see it. That's just hot. There's no nuance. It's just hot. <laughs> I love that she had to list everything. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it just got increasingly poetic as she went on. She was rhyming. Scandalously yeah. undone. Have you ever been so horny that you rhymed? 
<laughs> I've never. It's a transcendent her. space. <laughs> Shakespeare has. <laughs> yes. So 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 it was horny as Shakespeare. So that's that's horny. That's pretty horny with some of those sonnets. Yeah. I'm gonna say. We do find out that Therese, the horny, um, wonderful lady, does have a huge crush on the master of stables, who just Have likes his horse horses. Stick. Clearly. Yes, appropriate. <laughs> Considering so, his yes. profession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sarah meets Tig again, who is as hot as advertised, apparently. How do you make cotty pants? How do you make cotty pants? You know what? I love a good childhood friend who grows up to be hot. I'm a sucker for that yeah, shit. Yeah, it's good. It's good like, stuff. <laughs> it's like, or when they hated each other as kids, like the swan princess, where they hate each other as kids and then they're hot. Yes. You love a good, good enemies, childhood enemies to lovers. Excellent. <laughs> Beautiful. She does say disagree that he is just as handsome as Therese says, but then she adds there was something almost too intense about him, something burning behind his pale eyes. That comes Ooh. up again and again. Yeah. Yes. Intense. Ty- Tyke's intensity is definitely something that is uh, repeated. He He's maybe a loose cannon himself. Yeah, I feel like Tyga and Colin are either going to get into like a bunch of fistfights or they're going to get into like all the trouble together. So they seem to be getting into trouble together already. He he immediately asks Sarah to dance and then go out for a walk because he's clearly curious. And we know that he is one of the few people who knew who Sarah actually was. And he remembers her. Yes, he remembers yeah. her. How old is he? He's He was 12 to her five. He is 25. Yeah. Okay. So he's, yeah, seven years older than her. The only people who know who Sarah was when she arrived and know who Kylette is, are Lady Lillen, her healer, and her three eldest children, one of whom has died, and one of whom is Tyke. So he is one of, like, died four people. Died under mysterious circumstances. Died under yeah, mysterious circumstances. Yeah, an accident that was no accident. <laughs> yes, her mage-born daughter died mysteriously. Yeah. So, yeah, so Tyke is one of the only people who knows who she is, and immediately is like, let's dance, let's go for a walk. He's trying to trigger those memories for sure. Is that what that is? Yeah. He maybe he was just trying to check her out or like well, not check her out like check her out but like be like you know I mean, um be both. <laughs> because you <laughs> so know 18 to 25 is a mm, not my favorite age range. <laughs> <laughs> they they um go outside and and he is a, like the second well, they, they, first they pass the minstrel who she has to remark about how wonderful and expressive his voice is. Capital M minstrel. I was like, ah, it's yes. called. It's called. It has to be. It's called. Is it? Is Capital it? M minstrel. <laughs> his voice deep and expressive. His lute as supple as any Sarah had ever heard. Yeah. Deep and expressive. Yeah. Thanks, Dessa, <laughs> for not making me castrated. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and speaking of, the minute they are like alone, Sarah's like, so when did you last see Magic Man? You know, very subtle Sarah. Sarah's not, like, playing this. She knows what needs to be done, but she's not going to be subtle about it. She's not a political operative at all. Glennon, she is not. No. (laughs) Oh, we also find out that diminutives are common in this world here because he calls Gornaldes Gorsha. And this is something that comes up more as you go on. People will, will add the shot to somebody's name. 
Yeah, her her diminutive is Sasha, right? Sasha, yeah. yeah. Really cute. That felt very Russian to me. It is a little bit, I'm yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yeah, he's like, yeah, you know, if I worked for the council, you'd be in trouble for just implying that Gorsha's alive. And she's like, if you worked for the council, you know, I'd be more worried about someone who calls a warrior mage by his personal diminutive. Very. Yeah, that hasn't changed. Sassy Sarah yeah, is yeah. still sassy. Sassy Sarah is going to stay sassy. She stays sassy. Um, And they're just trying to have their little talk where he's like, you know, chill out. Please don't do whatever crazy thing you're about to do. You're too young, but in a few years, you can come join the revolution. And that's what he says. He said he came and talked to her because he could just see in her eyes that, like, she's getting impatient. She's getting impatient to be out there doing the the revolutionary things. And she has to, like, he says, the minute I saw you, I knew you had to be warned. Like, chill out. <laughs> yeah, which is, like, obviously that is throwing, like, water onto a grease fire like that's not gonna help <laughs> yeah so this is where we find out that Anias is like running around getting mages killed only sarah assumes they're like letting themselves get caught and tig's like no they're pretty brave they're sacrificing themselves to keep angry punch card ladies card punched you know sufficiently <laughs> she gotta keep racking up those reward points you know yeah i mean she wants her free sub one per year and so these majors are out here just like, I guess, punch me because, you know. And Glennon's out there helping. And Glennon is out there helping. Glennon's the secret weapon that's making it all possible. Yeah. She's identifying the mages, um, which. She's a collaborator. Not a great look. Ooh, yeah. Capital I mean, C she's collaborator. clearly gone full punch card, pro punch card. She is at best anti-hero at this point. Yeah. At yeah. best. At yeah. best, she gets a redemption arc. I'm I'm seeing full big bad villain arc at this point. Yeah. I'm not loving the ambition. I'm not loving the, you know. Can I ask a question? Yes. Was Orlin Renna, did I, like, misread this? Or was he kind of creeping on Sarah every now and then? He was, like, touchy? At one point, she was like, if you touch me again, this wine is going to end up a little Oh, okay. That was not Orlin. That oh, was okay. the father, I think, of the person, the the host of the party. Okay. So he was being creepy and touchy. And she was like, I'm 18, you pervert. What, that she, let me see what his name was. Uh, Valera Witt's father. But you know what? They say they say this right after they say Orlin Reen is sitting somewhere else. So you might have gotten confused. I did get confused. Because for a second, I was like, do we have a touchy foster dad? Like, I... Mm. No. I'm like, I, not Orlin. He seemed really nice. I know. Well, he was getting whiplash. No, Orlin is, is extremely chill. But the host's father, like 80-year-old father, was like, getting a little grabby with sarah and she was like touch me again and i'm gonna throw this in your face which yes yes you tell that octogenarian and then he shot it right down because you know in this world if a an 18 year old woman gets mad at you first blooded first daughter she can make your life very miserable even if you are an old man so delicious yeah love that for everyone love that he didn't come back i was like bitch <laughs> no he was just like i'm gonna shut up before it's a compliment right and yeah interesting thing about this party is how it's the wedding yeah they're celebrating glennon's betrothal 
Yeah, like it's just it's like oh. the Glennon thing. It just it's so like in the background. Just like how like that's the funny thing with these POVs, right? The uh, last POV was Glennon, and then this it's like. Oh, yeah, we're at her, like, betrothal party or whatever, and it's, like, a big deal, but also, like, all this other plot was happening. Yeah. But she's not going to go see her sister? Is is Glennon there? No, like, all, all over the country, they're celebrating because she is, um, the oh. first counselor is sort of, like, it's, like, the president's son just got engaged to someone, and, like, they're all having parties to celebrate it. That's so awkward. That's so awkward. So it is very awkward for her. She thinks Weird. about it a few times. It's just sort of, like... You know, she's stuck at a a party celebrating the sister she can never acknowledge as her sister. That's the weird part. She can't acknowledge it. She keeps thinking about it, but she can't acknowledge it. She can't talk about it to anyone. And then, like, half the guests come up to her and are like, oh, yeah, I'm actually in the revolution and I know everything that's happening and I know who you are. <laughs> and it's like, you know, she's the only one not in the loop. It's really awkward. This really reminds me of a scene in, like, the first episode of The Power where that with the daughter and this is not like not a spoiler but because it happens in like the first 10 minutes but she like goes to the wedding of her half brother and the dad doesn't acknowledge her during the speech oh yeah i remember where that. he's like i'm finally getting a daughter or whatever and his daughter who he doesn't acknowledge is like right there <laughs> yeah his daughter with his mistress <laughs> it's so awkward it's yeah. like i don't know that would be really awkward it, it is definitely ick ick so she and Tig are talking about how her sister's now a uh, murder friend, accessory to murder. And guess who shows up? The other sister. Kylette. Kylette. And then they have this timeless eye contact and it's like, boom, tidal wave of, of memories. And, and then we were confused. <laughs> Big magic moment, souls, eyes, everything. Memories come flooding back. She's like, you killed my mom, but it's okay. They both have her mother's black eyes. Yeah, so they're more alike than they than they are to Glennon. Like, they both take after the same thing where Glennon took after their dad. Yeah, Glennon has the dad's eyes, and Kylad and Sarah both have mom's black eyes, which are supposedly infamous because Fallendare wrote a song about their mother's beautiful eyes. Um, when she was 16. Yeah, Fallen Deer again, looped around. I'm like... Yeah, yeah. Mm, Fallen Deer, you, mm. you made eyes at this woman once. What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Wait, sorry. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out still how Colin factors in. <laughs> well, remember, uh, Fallen Deer was castrated when he was very young. So, um, because he Deer. is barred. Right. So. Bummer for Fallen Deer, for sure. Not a great time. So he's had so... This man has had so many things cut off of his body. Oh, him and Knives are not having a good time. <laughs> Can we discuss? <laughs> Volunteer's had a rough go of it. I'm not sure if he's he like would say that he regrets that because he definitely enjoyed his barding. You know, he was the preeminent bard. So that may be something where it wasn't quite the same situation. Yeah, but could he be a bard with a voice change? Like, I mean, Colin seems to be doing fine. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I don't know if we were ever really told what that whole situation was. Imagine being a rock star who can't fuck anybody. What, what is even the point? What is the point? I'm just going to say, I do not think at this point he has expressed any real sadness about not having the the company. But it could the be. Company. so. The company. <laughs> the boning. 
I mean, at this point, he's got more things to be bummed about. Yeah, he does have a lot of, of things to be bummed about when we meet him. But I'm just saying, this man has had so many body modifications just thrust upon him, for lack of a better term. It is, it is, he's, he's been through some shit. I'm looking for the part where it actually happens. Yeah, they meet, they meet each other's eyes and like Sarah remembers everything. You know, the Austin hold and her pregnant mother and the baby and running to get Gordel deaths and... Just a whole lot of trauma just floods into yeah. And she says Kylet's name, and Kylet's like clearly extremely suspicious that this pretty girl is hanging out with Tig and not digging it. And Kylet, of course, has no idea who she is because there's nothing for her to forget or remember. That's so sad because yeah. she was a baby. Yeah, that is so interesting, though, like when you meet your when you see your like parents, friends, and they're like, I met you when you were five. And you're like, I don't know you at all. You know what I mean? And then you kind of wonder about that with your friends, kids who don't like live in the same state as you and stuff. So you don't see it to see them that often. You just kind of text. (laughs) You're like, am I going to be that adult to them? Where I'm like, I remember you being like four years old and toddling around. And they're like, cool. Yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah. Oh, I'm the worst as an aunt about that. I am. I am so bad. I told my my nibbling there the other day how they were conceived, which was after Star Wars. (laughs) It was after we all went to go see a Star Wars movie and then drink a bunch of tequila. And then they went home and. And that was that was a baby, you know. And they were like, "Please don't tell me this." <laughs> that is the thing about having like siblings have kids or friends have kids. You're like, I could ruin your life with one sentence. Like, <laughs> I'm the best worst aunt. <laughs> That's a lot to know. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, sorry. I feel like no one needs to actually know their conception story. Uh, like, no one wants that. <laughs> no one wants that knowledge. And yet, so many of us are burdened with it. Yes. <laughs> Oh, mm. I'm not going to tell this story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a burden. It's a burden we don't need to share. It's a burden I don't need to share with others. So, yay. So, we we know Kylette's conception story, which was they made up very privately and then everything went to shit. Basically, from here on out, they're trying, Kylette has come over to tell them that the the justices are looking for the minstrel because apparently he's saying the song that you're not supposed to sing. He loves doing that. Yeah. So, and, and you know which <laughs> song this is, of course, it. right? You guys, did you figure out which song this is? Oh, is it the song that got his t- the other guy's tongue cut off? Yeah, Garden I would of the Long so. Sun. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the one where he's like, "You're super traitorous to the concept yeah. of humanity," or whatever. Yeah, that's the big no-no song. Yeah, but everyone <laughs> honestly, knows it, like, or at least knows the chords of it. So it's like the oppression is just making it spread more. You know. Yeah. What if it's kind of a bob or like an earworm? It has to be an earworm. It's fallen deer. Clearly it's an earworm. Yeah, it's got to be a bit of a bob. And people are pretty bobbed that they can't, you know, hear it often. So he sang it on the boat as they were coming over here. And now everybody's like, we're going to arrest you because you are singing the forbidden song. So they are like trying to find that this chapter has a lot of mistaken identity of Sarah trying to find Colin and like getting him confused with other people. Yes. Yeah. Did not help us at all. <laughs> yeah. I was a little confused. How did you guys experience this subsequent current of events? Because it's basically them trying to find Colin 
and Tig and like get them to safety from the guards. And Sarah just keeps wandering on other men who are either minstrels or have red hair and thinking that they're this minstrel. Yeah. She also keeps making it worse. It was giving me the feeling of whenever I try to play D&D. Like, this is how it goes. <laughs> I talk to all the wrong people. I don't say the right thing. And not at all the result that I wanted comes out. Like, it was such a mood. I was cringing with empathy so hard throughout her whole, like, trying to make herself look like she got assaulted but no not like that like I was, so well, I was like girl what did you think they would assume she's 18 she doesn't she know what trying, she i think that's her she was gonna say that somebody else assaulted her and tiger and, and the minstrel were like chasing him to stop him but they just jumped right to oh no the guy who sang the bad song tried to assault you of course he did because he sang the bad song oh okay that makes much more sense because i thought she was like i was uh, he pushed me down and I'm like girl that's not what they're gonna think yeah yeah no I was so like I was right there with the people that were confused with with her like it's, what <laughs> there's only there's one line where they're like Ty can like figure out that he's supposed to be on the path of an infamous seducer or something so basically the the whole idea was that they are supposed to be chasing down someone who hurt her to try to stop this person or, you know, catch them or whatever. But she didn't really get to her story. Managed to accidentally sort of accuse the minstrel of assault. She just rolled a nat one on her deception check. She's like, whoopsie. Like, yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't always know what she needs to do. This her is- first her first mission as it's a member of the Rising is not off to a great start. And he is understandably... Yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah, like, so you accused me of assaulting you. That's not great. It's not helpful. Don't want to work with you anymore. And I understand. So Lillian like takes her inside and they have a little chalk where like, you know, about how she remembers everything. And then Lillian like dumps the entire roster of all of her children on us, which is nine or 12 children. I don't even remember. So many babies. She's, she's, she's had many children. You know, and so the next morning, Sarah's like trying to go out to town because she thinks she's going to go continue this rising mission she's on, you know, part two, this time not messing up. Orlin Reed is like sticking with her because he knows exactly what she's up to. Uh huh. Okay. And at that point, I had thought that Orlin Reed was like a weird groomer. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what is all the rape plots going <laughs> He's just like, I'm coming with you so that you do not get yourself killed. Because you're clearly bumbling your first missions here. Well, none of us kids confused because he took her to a brothel and I was like, this is grooming. Like, <laughs> Okay, so here we go. Second to periods in fantasy, my second favorite discourse, sex work in fantasy. <laughs> yes. Mm. So Robert Jordan like always pretends that it doesn't exist, which is like the weirdest thing I think you could possibly do, especially in a world where like all the tavern workers are getting like pinched all the time. Like, what do you think this is? I just came across a line in Knife of Dreams that really made me question if he had written prostitution out of the world. I'm like, how am I supposed to interpret this line except that prostitution exists? Mr. Yeah. When I get there, let's discuss. <laughs> yeah. Because my thing too, I'm like, with all of the cactusing, which is what I like to call assaults, 
with all of the like those plots, I'm like, we're really going to say that they were like, no, but I'm not going to pay for it. Right. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to come by it naturally. Yeah. But you, one way or the other. It's, like, <laughs> it, it's, I don't, I, whatever he was going for, like, I'm going to be feminist. That, that's not how feminism works. Sex work is work. It's the oldest profession. Don't disrespect the concept. Yeah. Literally, they introduced the concept of money to bonobos and pretty much immediately sex work happened. Concept. Primates yeah. want to fuck. It's a thing. And, and yeah. this is a, you know, I'm assuming because we've all pretty much, I'm assuming we are all pretty sex worker positive here. Like this is a, mm-hmm. you know, let's, it, it, it needs to be safe for them and we need to stop doing things that like, you know, obviously nobody should be doing that against their will, but the people who are choosing to do it need to be protected by laws and not, you know, stigmatized and penalized. Punished for existing yeah Yeah. i am anti-sex trafficking pro people who engage in sex work willingly yes exactly they should have medical care and protection under the law and the ability to unionize and like you know work things a sex worker union would be so i've read about (laughs) these things there it's yes that's amazing yeah i i'm like it's always going to exist and it that's it's one of those things where i'm like so let's make sure that people are safe and taken care of okay it seems pretty logical to me. So yeah, so sex work in this is, they have brothels. Here, here, this is one I really wanted to discuss with you guys because there's a line in here where they talk about what's normal for women, r- rich one, young women especially, which is basically that they remain virgins until they're about to be married. But before marriage, somebody hires a very fancy prostitute who comes and basically has lots of sex with her to figure out exactly how she likes the sexing and then trains her husband. I don't hate it. (laughs) I I have a lot of complicated feelings on it. Like, generally speaking, I'm not super pro anything that is virginity until marriage, like, as a rule. Yeah, not pro that. Definitely not pro that. Am pro women exploring their bodies and sexuality and figuring out what they like. Yeah, like I think that the idea that I, I think that it's it's leaning like this whole setup. While there are parts of it, I'm like, yeah. it also acknowledges that like every woman's going to have like you know I mean, and every person. Let's be real, every single person is going to. You can't be good at sex universally. <laughs> You, you can't just do this. The, here's my five moves and they're going to work with everybody. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Communication is key. Yeah. So uh, people have different things that w- they will like and they will have different needs and there will have different things that will work for them that w- wouldn't have worked for someone else. And so the idea that, you know, I guess we're, <laughs> if we're going to like, you know, send these husbands off to train, you know, I guess tell them what they actually like instead of just giving them generic training. And I do think it destigmatizes the idea of virginity somewhat. Like these women are being called lesser because they are sleeping with these Bauer lads, as they are called. Yeah, in fact, it's like practice. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's considered normalized. And then it's considered normalized later on in life to have... To, to continue to, uh, you know, these these men have, like, widows or uh, even women, I guess, who just have a, a patron on the, patronize them on the side. And they can get really rich before they retire. 
So it is something where it's like not stigmatized for women to visit sex workers later in life either. It's considered normal and they appear to have some places where at least it's they take care of everybody. This doesn't seem to be one of them, though. Yeah, I, I there's like two sides to how I felt about this, because, yeah, like anything where a woman's virginity is held on some pedestal until legal contract. I'm just like, ick, put it in the freezer, not happy. But like yeah. the concept of, and like, and it's something a little bit like 1% about like, I can't communicate with my spouse. So I have to use the intermediary of like a hired hand to like yeah. create communication. <laughs> like that's very hand. like uh, weird, but I literally, literally a hired literally, hand. Literally. But I do like <laughs> love the idea of people's first sexual encounters being facilitated and there being like a specific professional niche for that. Yeah. Like, I love that concept. Like, I mean, there's a lot wrong with the Clan of the Cave Bear series, but like, I really liked that part of the world building of like the concept of sex as being so like sacred and unique that like you need people with a talent and ability and knowledge to like facilitate that transition. Like, I like that as a concept in isolation. I don't like tying it to like, you're going to get married more like tying yeah. it to like, this is where you're at in your developmental cycle and we don't want you to get hurt your first time. So we're going to like make a ceremony out of it. Like, and having there be sex workers who like specialize in that and then who also specialize in like helping a person like explore their body and like find things that they like and like, you know, run you through like at least the 100 level like number of sex positions and be like, here's kind of the stuff you might want to play with as you get to more advanced parts of your sexual career. Like, I loved the setup. I just, did Did you have to make marriage the, the square one? Did, 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 mm, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, we do, I mean, I'm not like, let's get sex workers for like all 18 year olds or some shit like that. But sure. I mean, you know, I like the idea of there being some kind of like moment in your life where it's like, this is normal. No one's judging you. Explore your body. Explore it potentially with people who understand what your body might want, like, um, or are able to gently explore that with you versus like, here's some dude who doesn't know what he's doing. You don't know what you're doing. Panic, have sex while his parents are in the garage. Like, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, yeah. No, I, I definitely like that idea of somebody who, of it being something that's special, not because you're going to be worth less afterwards, but because it's your introduction to this, you know, new stage of your life where this can be something that you enjoy. Very formative experiences at the beginning. <laughs> you're going to enjoy it more if it's, you know, you're introduced to it in a way that is pleasurable and, and kind and supportive and respectful and safe. Which is, I think, what should be wanted. Yes. And without risk, right? Also being able to, like, have your first sexual encounters not carry the risk of disease and pregnancy because you aren't doing anything other than, like, the, the kiddie pool of, like, seeing how this works. You're not actually playing with, with fire on, on a tightrope yeah. over the Grand Canyon. Yeah. You know, I think, I think I like that part of it. I, yeah, no, I really like, Everything about it, except for the virginity part. Yeah. Like, okay, everything else about it. And the, like, having to inform your husband what you like. Like, I mean, maybe teaching you how to advocate for yourself and what you want 
Maybe you have like a nice threesome together and you like practice talking <laughs> yeah. or something. Or something. Honestly, honestly, something. wouldn't that be like the best, the like the, the way to go? But kind of, right? I mean, women are complicated. <laughs> There's a little complexity to it. I mean, some more than others, right? But it's like, here's their user manual. And also I'm going to do the home install. Right. Yeah, totally. Let me give you a demo. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like, I mean, I like also the investment in figuring out women's pleasure. Yeah. Yes. Prioritizing pleasure. We love that. Yes. We love that. It's not just for babies. That's for pleasure. Empowerment. Yes, exactly. It's not just like a a means to end. Like pleasure and connection are important. No, I did think it was interesting that the the prostitutes age out at age 30. (laughs) That's yep. that's how old they have to be before they retire from being sex workers. I, know, I felt a little as a thirty year old. Last I was a fuckable day. Like, wow. <laughs> that last fuckable day passed. Apparently, I thought it was thirty five. That was no, it's thirty, and, and this is for men. So, like, which is like when men become fuckable in fantasy, usually, <laughs> right? Like, it's a, come on, let's be real. Uh, I also wish that we'd gotten the impression that, like, the boys also had to get, like, de-virginized in the same ceremonial way, like, right before they got married. Because there's definitely an implication that it's only girls' virginity that's getting held aside, or that men get to just figure it out, however. Like, I didn't get the impression that young blood boys are also brought to a place like this. I mean, it's presumably young blood, blood boys are just, like, taken aside by the guy who banged their future wife and told how to do it now that's a bit awkward it just doesn't feel that doesn't feel equal (laughs) so it isn't and and here's the thing it's not supposed to be equal because these men age out at 30 because this is supposed to be a world with prejudice against men where men are subjugated so this is not fair to men for sure this is what i'll do what i do like about it though is that it's like okay if we're theoretically introducing women to sex and they're like 18 years old. If they're with like someone who's 45, I'm going to be like, that's predatory. I don't like it. But like with the older you know women I mean? who are like hiring studs to just like keep them occupied because they're that's widows. Me, so, like mm-hmm. now we've got 30 year olds with 70 year olds. Like what? True, yeah. true, true, true. I mean, and I do think that that is both the point and something we should be like, yeah, like that's creepy. <laughs> It's creepy both I ways. Think we need sex workers of all ages. Yes. yes. No ageism in sex work, please. I would like a sexually appropriate, age appropriate sex worker if I were to ever hire one, which not my bag, but like, you know. No, and I I, I do want to feel like a creep. Yeah. That's like yeah. one of the things that when you actually read a book that like gender flips this stuff, it becomes more overt because it is very weird of us to think of men becoming like aging out of attractiveness at 30 that is that is just not how this works <laughs> yeah and like that 70 year old women are still like hot and get to you know be sexual but men are men are expired at 30 here's my take i think people actually do get hotter as they get older that's right <laughs> that's, and that's definitely not me from my 40s saying <laughs> like i look at 60 year old women and i'm not like like oh that would be something that i would jump on, but I'm looking at them and I'm like, they can get it. Mm-hmm. Am I wrong? No, confidence is so sexy. Knowledge is sexy. Knowing how to exist in yourself is fucking hot. Like yeah, young people don't like have that. I'm sorry, you just don't. Like no, youth is I gawky feel- and awkward. Okay, have you talked to a 20 year old recently? Like all the love in the world. Like all the love in the world for Gen Z. But like, 
as a, but I feel like an older sibling that's like stressed out for them. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like I, to me, that's not hot because I just feel like I'm in a completely different phase in my life. You know, I, I just I feel like the adults in the room. Yeah, to me, that's like not sexy. Well, no, and I think that that's something that you know we've definitely not been trained to find that sexy by society because that's just and and then that's something that I like once again we are looking at these women in these books who have crushes and the men are all older even though that's not what it makes sense if men age out of hotness at 30 except for all of these younger women are still going for older men because i think that's so ingrained that even when she was writing this she couldn't entirely escape it yeah right which is why i'm begging people not to think that i'm like attacking robert jordan when i say this stuff is so ingrained he just can't escape it none of us can escape it it's ingrained in all of us no, no, yeah, for sure, for sure. Oh my god, being a writer is so stressful because you're constantly kind of like looking for where your biases are, but you don't know because they're your biases. Yeah, so then you're just like, I'm trying to do something that I think might be new, but still inevitably, right? Like people have to build on you. You're not going to create this world that's like perfect. No, uh, like you're not going to create anything that's like free of your implicit biases so it's just like i'm trying to make a building block for somebody else to maybe run with right better than what came before and the kind of thing that helps people do something better after like you want to be in that progression and, and i've told ali this before help create the world that finds your work irrelevant <laughs> yeah brilliant I'm, I'm not a writer at all, but I definitely have the impulse to be like, well, how do we make the absolute perfect end result? And like, I get very frustrated with the concept of incremental change, like in any, any pursuit at all. I'm like, no, go to the end. And it's just, it's just not realistic. Yeah. Gus and I just talked about this, that like incremental change is so frustrating as a young person. Cause you're like, I may never even see the results of my labor, right? There's so many people that have created incredible change that did not live to see it. Like they started the ideas and they're like, and then maybe got persecuted for having those ideas and they didn't get to see the results of what that work was. Right. Or even just the scales wrong. I mean, I just watched a cool video the other day about the Voyager expeditions and like the best picture that we have of, of Earth. I mean, lots of good pictures, but like Carl Sagan's pale blue dot, like he didn't get to see Voyager get out of the interstellar bubble, you know, like he's the one he's the reason we have pale blue dot, but he died before the fucking mission got out of the solar system. I watched another video of these people who are designing a payload that won't get launched until like the 2030s. And there's this old guy being like, I'm not going to get to even see it launch maybe as a professional. I'm certainly not going to get to see it arrive at its destination, but like, I know that I'm part of it and that's enough. And it's like, yeah. and then of course there's the Martin Luther King. Like, I'm not going to be there with you when we get to the promised land, but we're fucking going. God damn no, it. Like, but we're fucking going. I'm going to try to steer the ship in that direction. It's so And hard. truly it's like, then it feels like the closer and closer we actually are getting largely. I mean, People are changing. Things are shifting. It's slow. But I honestly think that the more angry people who are opposing that change are, the closer we're actually getting. Definitely. Yeah. Because it's like they know that we're getting we're getting too close to what they don't want. And so there's just like this reaction to that change. So 
Yeah. And, and I mean, even people who are like just breaking generational curses, just going like, you know what, I'm going to be the first in my family to go to therapy, or I'm going to be, you know, the person who's going to make new mistakes with my children mm-hmm. rather than the same mistakes that are yeah. being made. Like, or I'm going to try my best to gentle parents, you know, or ch- like raise my kids differently or not, you know, be the first generation that doesn't smack their kids. You know, like all of that. You don't get to see the fruits of that necessarily, but you are affecting generations of people just by doing that. Right. It's that whole like that one little thing. If you could go back in time and change one little thing, you are back in time relative to the future. (laughs) Like do the one little thing now because there's there's a time traveler who wishes they could do that right now, right in the future. The decisions that we're making are affecting way more than just us. And I think that's hard to remember. And so it's like, if you are taking the time to change your own mind and change, like, just the minds around you that are receptive to change, right? Or even, like, just pushing a little bit on the minds that aren't, right? I mean, you're just, you're you're making the world better just by being. And there's so many more people that are doing that work than the people who are doing the work that actually gets the negative work that's being talked about. But I think I personally think it's to demoralize the people that are doing positive things. For it sure. is. It, it's, sure. it's, it's information warfare. It's like psychological warfare yeah. to make us feel like the current stuff with like all of these anti-trans bills. It's to make us feel like there's this national groundswell of organic pushback when it is really just like five lawyers and six crazy people in a car going from state to state to state with a copy-paste bill making it seem like it's everywhere. Because they got nothing better to do. Just slapping them down over and over and over again. They just got slapped down in Florida again because Mm -hmm. they're unconstitutional and insane. Yeah. Yeah. And and so, but it's... it's, They're losing. It's making us all feel terrible and it's terrorizing people in the moment. I mean, my nephew had to spend time before that bill got stayed in Alabama where he didn't know if he was going to be able to get his medication, like, you know, his health care. And so it's doing harm, but they are desperate because these people are just, they, they want to, <laughs> they think that they can fight back and we have just got to crush them. So, and that's, you know, I think that we got to keep pushing. It's going to happen, but it's like, yeah, the the reason why everything seems so dire and negative is because they want you to be complacent. They want you to feel that it's dire and negative and, and hopeless. Also. Yeah. Hopeless yeah. is important. Because that is just as harmful. Like when we're talking about the environment, feeling like it is help- hopeless and not wanting to do anything because it's hopeless is the same as being a climate change denier in terms of impact. Yeah. Apathy and inaction gets you to the same place. It's the yeah. same. So it's like, it's taking the time to, I mean, it's not going to be broad sweeping change. Broad sweeping change doesn't happen overnight, right? Broad sweeping change takes a long time. And so it's just working on yourself and working on the people in your immediate circle as much as you can. That's it. That's all we all can do. They, we don't need, a, you know, all just Martin Luther Kings. We need people who are like panning out pamphlets. That's it. Those are the people who are making the most impact. We need one leader, but we need a lot of people handing out pamphlets. That's it. And they want you to feel like the world is hopeless. I had this whole realization like last night because I was really depressed last night. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, this is this is great though. And I like 
I want to I want to read something from the book because this is hilarious. Yes, please. That we are like having this conversation that we were brought here by the sex work because literally Sarah has this realization while she's standing in this brothel. She had enough and more than enough to give without ever feeling any lack. The cause for which she was determined to fight would never, could never burn her to ashes. She was ombre, mageborn, inheritor of a magic that flamed forever. It would strike her as singularly amusing in later years that these noble sentiments had first swept over her in the middle of a whorehouse taproom. <laughs> yep, see, discussions about sex work will lead you to the core of motivation. And so we have decided to tell you all to hope, actively yeah. hope, because we are standing in the virtual middle of a whorehouse tap room. Feeling in the middle of a whorehouse tap room. <laughs> feeling extremely noble. I, I guess there is something about this particular brothel that really brings out it really the... really brings the hope. <laughs> you the know, rebellion. Everyone's just kind of vibing. Well, it's because I got super, I was so super depressed that I got high last night. And then I turned to <laughs> Gus and I went, I just realized they want us to feel this way. Yeah. And and then I was just, it kind of fixed some things, I think, mentally, where I was just like, I mean, not permanently, probably, but like, just for a bit, I was like, oh, like, best thing I can do is realize that, like, everyone wants me, like, the 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 people I'm trying to fight against want me to feel hopeless. Yeah. And so I'm not going to as much as I can. But it's okay. And I struggle with it. For people who don't know, I live in Alabama, which means like I have had my rights pretty violently curtailed. Like, I mean, I have spent time having to figure out if I can get prosecuted because they're threatening to prosecute us if we give gas money to someone to leave the state for like a legal abortion. So I am living in a pretty fucking dystopian moment. And there are times that like is really hard emotionally because it's just... That is, they, they have taken rights. My bodily autonomy has been taken away by my state, even though I live in a country where I'm supposed to have it. And I do have times where it's just, I feel hopeless. But fuck them. They don't actually get to tell me that my body doesn't belong to me. And I live in Alabama, which is the cradle of the civil rights movement. Um, so many things happened in Birmingham. The people who fought for their rights before were not going to, I mean, they literally the day after Roe versus Wade fell, they got out there and they said, we don't let them tell us that we don't have rights. We didn't perform. We're not going to do it now. And so God bless the black women, civil rights leaders down here who just came out the next day and said, don't you dare fucking give up. And so I'm not going to. Marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And it's okay if you need to take a break as someone who's run a marathon, which always makes me feel like a dick when I say that. But like, you know, I had major armpit chafing at mile 21. Right. I have major bad armpit chafing and then I accidentally rubbed icy hot on it. So like every now and then you get icy hot armpits (laughs) and like, that's okay. You just have to keep running. (laughs) I love you, Allie. (laughs) You're just going to put some air under those things and do your best, right? It's okay for limping to the end. It's fine. So that is what we are doing. We are going to hope. Sarah's going to hope. 
We're all hoping. I feel like Sarah is is taking upon herself quite a bit more sense of responsibility and agency than is realistic for any one person. But since she's a protagonist with magic, it's going to work out fine. That feels very realistic of an 18-year-old, though. Yeah, like, she's, she's going just, to be the one. What she decides is that they all are hers now, like hers to protect and hers to aid. Right. They're like, don't join the organization. You're too young. She's like, you're all mine now. It's like... I am going Girl. to save you all and I'm going to do Girl. whatever it takes. And That's so, so me at 18 though. Mood. <laughs> mood. You're like, I'm going to be the one to fix the problem. I, and you're yes. like, mm. yes, I, I was 18. I'm like, I'm going to go to college and be the smartest person ever and save everyone from all the natural disasters. Like that was me at 18. <laughs> yeah. And then you meet all the other 18 year olds who are really special from their hometowns and <laughs> who were the smart one at their hometown. And you're like, okay. So I'm like, with my people, but also that's a big wake yeah, up. Yeah, it's like, oh, oh, this is not quite as unique as I thought. <laughs> but I don't know that Sarah's going to have that moment. I think she has two people in the world that are going to compete with her on that, and they're both her sisters. Yeah. So Sarah's in this brothel, and she's trying to figure out, like, you know, Orlin's pretending that he's going to buy her someone for her first time. And she's trying to figure out, should she take Tig or the minstrel? And she'll, like, take them and then we'll get him to safety. And someone who she assumes is the minstrel comes over and starts hitting on her in a kind of gross way. Which is her, like, second or third mistaken identity for him. <laughs> she really cannot find this guy. She, she's she got a lot of face issues. She She has no facial recognition. So the guy who's skeezing on her suddenly gets like punched and slammed into a table and our actual minstrel finally arrives in Sarah's face again with the um, memorable line, women are like peaches, friend, never pluck them under ripe. <laughs> so Colin is against skeeving on younger women. See, and I like the sentiment, but... The women equaling ripe is always going to yep. be a major exclamation. Yeah, double thumbs down. It like, is. It no. is a <laughs> okay, Colin. Not so sure you're doing your best intro here. So points up for not being about younger women. Points down for anything that has to do with the word ripe. Blah. Do not compare women to fruit. <laughs> then he says she's not worth a tin cup piece, which maybe more thumbs down. Yeah, more thumbs down. For but that. at least it's appropriate to the setting, given that yes. it's a brothel. So this is Sarah and the minstrel meeting for the second time, and it does not go great. Uh, she tries to drag him out of the the whorehouse so that they can like get them on the horses and get them to safety which if you're watching and you don't know what's going on how fucking weird is the scene (laughs) (laughs) there is the there is the kid in the kitchen who is watching as first they like start to leave and then there's a fight breaks out so the minstrel's trying to get back to the fight because he wants to punch things and sarah's like hanging from his elbow trying to drag him out as though she's just like, fuck me, please. <laughs> it's so funny. I know. <laughs> she's extremely self-conscious of the uh, virginal, virginal franticness, the picture of virginal franticness that she must present here as she's trying she's to. She's like, I'm going to get dick. So help me. <laughs> yeah, right. And so Colin is 
is not aware of the fact that the whole thing is so he has a cover to escape. Yeah, he he doesn't really know. He So he's just as unaware as Sarah. They are both equally confused about everyone, all the adults' intentions in the room. So he thinks that she really is desperately trying to fuck him. Like she's like, I paid for you. There's like Ty and Austin who are members of the rising and know what's going on. And then there's the minstrel who's just like running around being chaotic. And then there's Sarah who is also running around being chaotic. So yeah, they are at cross purposes. She finally tells him her name and he's like, oh, oh, the one who accused me of assault. Thanks a lot, bitch. Oh, I really want to go with you now. Wait, so Colin's not part of the of the rising? He does not seem to be. Oh, I totally thought he was. I, I just... kind of implies he will be. They say something like if he keeps on the path he is, he will be eventually. Yeah. He will be, but he isn't. Okay. So they're kind of keeping an eye on him as he wanders around being a rogue agent of chaos. It is It is interesting that Agatine and Orlan Reen both are on a boat with him and Lil and Austin too. It is interesting that he keeps being around all of these people who we know are part of the, the secret organization somehow. Yeah. Guilt by association. I mean, he's got the, he's got the loot. Clearly... There he's okay. They may know something he doesn't know. I think he's being kind of like soft recruited. Yeah. Yeah. So like he does seem like- to be friends with Tig, which I mean they both like to punch things and hang out in brothels, so that may just be natural association. <laughs> I will say also the brothel mistress kindly offered her boys to Orlin Reen too. So there's a clearly no issue here. Do you like that? Like the casual gayness. That's good. Are there women at this brothel? Or is this all... Do- it does not seem to be. Okay. Hmm. Seems to be all boys, but anyone can, I mean... Well, given how often I, fantasy scenes, like, will show a brothel that is entirely women draped yeah. in something, like, nothing, yeah, I'm like, I like I'm it. okay with there just being only men in this one. I'm going to assume that there are some lady brothels elsewhere and just yeah, be fine. Yeah, we always only show the women brothels. Yeah. In every fantasy ever. I do feel like that was sort of deliberate. And there just has to be random tits that don't have a face attached to them. There's just random tits at the edge of the frame. Yeah, that's that's important. I thought about this a lot. I'm like telling your family like, I'm on Game of Thrones, but you're like the naked girl in the back. Uh uh Yeah. Yeah. So I want to imagine this one. There's just like random, you know, bulges and ass cheeks just sort of like (laughs) in the edge of the frame that like the camera's having to like get around in order to, you know zoom in yeah. on our actual action scene just just half naked boys everywhere yeah i want schlong's helicoptering <laughs> <around>. <laughs> helicoptering for sure for sure yeah like they turn around so fast they think it was whiplash there's like whipping back and forth <laughs> so eventually colin decides the only way to get out of here is to kidnap her fake kidnap her i'm so confused <laughs> That confused me as well. <laughs> the whiplash. He's already in a lot of trouble and trying to outrun the law. And then he was like, let me do something that will get the law on my ass. Right. Even and then more. he's like, he's like, so yeah, you accused me of a, of assault and I don't appreciate that. So I'm going to actually fake kidnap you. And cause that's okay. Like I, what, what? Well, I think he's more, he's like, don't accuse me of bad things I haven't done. I've done plenty of bad things. Now I'm going to do a bad thing for real. I'll give you something to accuse me of crimes about. Because he does later say that he has worse things on his rap sheet. Mm. So he he's clearly trouble. A little bit of trouble. So yeah, I, I think that this whole scene is just chaos. Sarah has learned that maybe she should not throw herself chaotically into 
rising um, operations in progress. Prediction? Maybe. She will not learn anything from this. <laughs> <laughs> Main characters really never learn this lesson, right? No. I'm like, as someone who kind of is starting to identify as a Sarah, she will learn absolutely nothing from this, and this will happen again. So, uh, Ali, you recently read the part in Winter's Heart and Wheel of Time where there's some kidnapping and spanking. We just got oh. some kidnapping and spanking. I was like, oh boy, Allie's I noticed love there was this. a spank. Yep. D- was there a spank? Who spanked who? Yes. He smacked he her smacked once. He smacked her on the, on the ass once. What to, is with the To 90s? make her scream. And then it's like. <sighs> because she wasn't what? like acting kidnapped 90s. enough. And he was like, I'm going to swatch you on the ass. What is with the 90s and spanking? Can we ask? Like, I was not very old in the 90s. I was very much a child. What was going on? I was honestly there a national spanking conversation that was going on. What I was, was a teenager. If somebody was having spanking conversations, they weren't having it with me, which thankfully I was 14 in this out. Someone who was an adult in the 90s, please let us know what was going on because truly so many books I've read that were born, that were like made in the 90s have spanking in them at this point. What was going on? So, yeah, yeah, there's they have a absolute shit-tastic, literally, at one point he, like, knocks her into some shit in a, like... Yeah, into a pile of horse poop. Yeah, so they have a shit-tastic meeting. He slips in shit at one point, too, which... He me. whacks her on the ass, she bites his knee, they get... They kidnap, you know, get out of town and gallop far away, and finally he, like, lets her go... And she's like, aren't you taking me with you? And he's like, oh, <laughs> very flattered. <laughs> but no. So apparently she's, she just really wants some adventure, this girl. They have got to, like, let her out of out of class or whatever, school or whatever she's doing. And you see it in her little sister. Her little sister's not supposed to be there. We learned that, yes. that she stowed away on this mission. She's only 13 and they're letting her run around like a little RS Stark or something. Like just <laughs> yeah, a little wildcat you can't contain. And it's like stowed away on the ship, came on this trip, somehow got down to the brothel, got locked in the closet by one of the people in the yeah, rising, like, the rebellion. How do you expect her older sister to be any easier to control? Like, come on. These Umbrite girls. These are two are clearly the chaos agents of the family. Which is so funny because Glennon is like super, super organized fascist lady. Yeah, all the order went to Glennon. <laughs> I know, but these girls, they've got a lot of audacity. Yes. They do. They do. They are they are made of an audacity. Oh my just. god. And speaking of audacity, like the maid is in the resistance. That's her. some fucking audacity. I love that her. is some fucking audacity that Elsie Grinwell, the thirsty maid, is also like the spy girl. Like, what? I love it. I love everything about it. I think that that improves everything. Yes, the horny <laughs> maid has been keeping an eye on Sarah her whole life, basically. Like, basically been the one who's like there making sure nothing happens. Love so her. love her even more. Lusty spy woman. Yes. Yes. She's and. just James yes, Bond. And. Yes. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> yes. So Sarah's walking back to town, having been abandoned by the minstrel after he says it's true what they say about a minstrel's hands. Okay. Um, saucy. So, mm, saucy. Saucy. <laughs> maybe, maybe he needs to revisit the underripe conversation here. He's He's now... Treading a little close to being inappropriate with younger women. How old is he? 
Um, he's probably about Tig's age, maybe a little so older. Maybe like 25. Yeah, he's probably about Tig's age. Um, I think that I can figure it out, but I don't know exactly. So she's a little young. But also they have some antagonism going at this point, so it could just be a jibe to be annoying, which like Yeah, yeah, he would could be just fine. be fucking with her. <laughs> it didn't feel flirty, it felt antagonistic. But I don't know. Yeah, I couldn't decide if this was meant to be like a meat cute or not. Uh, well, I mean, I mean this is their second enemies meeting i i my 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 first impulse is to ship them and say oh clearly sassy sarah is the she from his whole thing like we've been looking that is that is my first impulse but i also don't i want that to not be what happens so i'm trying to not manifest it well we've met i'm gonna say he's been introduced with three sisters and the only thing we know about she is that she's a blooded lady but all three of these sisters are well they only get younger from here (laughs) No, they. Yeah, I mean that is true. If it's not fascist Glennon, but like, the, can you imagine him and fascist Glennon meeting? Oh my! They God. are like order and chaos. I feel like you just gaslit us. Just now. <laughs> yeah, but I mean seriously, like the the snarky back and forth where they don't like each other at first is like that is classic young teen romance. Love it's so classic. And it's like, I, it's I, I can see it. I'm shipping it. I am. I'm shipping it. Oh, you're officially, uh, you're officially all aboard. I don't like it. I just can't help but see the logic of it. If I don't look at the age difference, if I don't look at their ages, I like it. <laughs> I, I will say that Sarah's entire section ends. Um, you know, we're, we're, we've been ending with a, a thematic mic drop. Uh, you know, so Colin didn't remember the wind anymore. Glennon finished her section by finishing reading the Weaver's big book and basically promising her tutor that he was going to weave her. She was going to weave his Ugh. like Ugh. legacy into fascism. <laughs> Sarah's section tutor. ends, but the promised explanations were not forthcoming. Fooled with a sleeping draught in the wine, as she drifted off, her last thought was that she'd break every one of that fake Rosviner's fingers in three places, each, if he ever put his damned minstrel's hands on her again. See, that gives me See, passionate hands that she yeah, really wants. It's giving. It's giving. <laughs> I feel like it's maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe it's give out because there's a part of me though that like at the beginning was like how does he relate like is he a half sibling and the only time i ship incest apparently is with house of the dragon so we can't can't do that here well what we know from this family tree is that literally everybody and nobody is related um we know rosvener is not his real name so it doesn't appear on that family tree so far but that doesn't matter we don't know what his real last name is. But his mother was someone important, Colin. You, it seems like it. I mean, a lot of important people are paying a lot of attention to him. So something's going on. So he wasn't four when the, the house burning happened, because then he would have been younger. Because he was four when, when the house incident happened, when mm-hmm. he like, burned the house with his siblings inside, which I had assumed was during that, like, the horrible... Uh, Time-wise, it's not when Ombre burned down, no. Yeah, years before. It's not adding up. Because when he's escaping, when he escapes and he's in Lady Lillian's kitchen after they, like, whisk him away to keep the jewels intact, that's when Gornal Dess is like, Aubrey Farron just divorced his wife. Right. So that's your timeline. He was, like, 14 or something. Right. 
roughly when Ombre was destroyed. The math did not math. Yeah. So it was another drive-by burning. And that's part of why she laid these out this way, I think. She's giving you an idea of, like, where their stories interweave. Yeah. So it was just a different random burning moment. But it seems like his mom was someone significant. So I'm like, was she a part of this family? And they were victims of some random act of aggression? Let me go look. In the back of this book, there is... Would you guys... Because this isn't, like, something they say anywhere... They do have a thing. Let me see if I can find it with how many families there are. I feel like this last name of his is going to be a reveal. When we get his real last name. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be big. So it's got to be a last name of someone we already know. <laughs> right? Somewhere in, the, in these characters, we're going to read his last name. So basically, as of the 38th census, which is what they... They take them every 25 years. And so sometime within the last 25 years, um, there were 2.7 million people in this country. Jesus. There were 27 blood names and 116,000 blood people. So there's quite a few blood names. We've seen maybe five or six or seven of them on that family tree. So there's more out there. It's 116,000 blood, 300,000 first year, 450,000 second tier, 690,000 third tier, 620,000 fourth tier, and then 600,000 slaves, roughly. I'm calling it. I'm calling it. He's he's blood. You think he's blood? Or yeah, he's blood. Yeah. It it makes Got the most it. sense. He's some family that they thought died out or long lost heir mm. that, mm. that, you know, I mean, he got given the name of a family that died out as his fake name. Wouldn't it be hilarious if it was just the wrong died out name or something? If that was his like, real name. Yeah. I'm just saying, if we hear of a family that died out, if we're like, Oh, tragic, they all die. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The next, mm-hmm. the next dead family we hear about is his birth family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next okay, you guys know what family. you're looking for. Dead families. <laughs> we are on the hunt. Yes. For a dead family. Yes. We are on the prowl. It's going to be found. We're going to find this fuck's last name. Yep. Before he even Yeah, before it he does. For him. Before he does. Yep. Oh, well, speaking of all of this, one thing we forgot to mention, Glennon was offered a wedding present by the council. And she requested that they abolish the blood and tear system. Oh, yeah. We didn't even talk oh, about and that. And we did not even we talk did. about we that. We skipped the like very important political move of Glennon's. So Glennon's political move was to, yes, abolish the existing fascist system. Um, so what do you guys think? Well, I mean, we asked for a table for our... <laughs> but we asked for a board game table. And just had everyone contribute money toward that. But I mean, this is cool, too. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of wild. I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know you could ask for the upheaval of an entire society for your wedding present. I should have registered for something else. I mean, I guess when you... So this this is an indication of how how important um, this first counselor, who was basically in charge of everything... Thinks her son's marriage is, I think. Like, could I have asked for comprehensive prison reform? (laughs) Did I miss an opportunity? I mean, maybe. And now it's your fault that you didn't. I mean, 
if you don't ask, you don't get. <laughs> so here's what we're going to need you all to ask for for future weddings. Um, Ali, you've got some coming up this week. So yeah, get we'll all the brides, the you know. Yeah, exactly. I've got like three weddings yeah. coming up. <laughs> we'll register. Yeah, I, I thought it was um, an interesting move for her to tie it to her, like the marriage with this guy. For sure, like to have it be not just something that they do when they're in power, but something they do like as a wedding thing, like to tie it in with the like social propaganda of like, let's all celebrate the royal's wedding. Let's all host like watch parties to like see how the engagement reception dinner goes down. Like all of this, like it's interesting to tie such a massive social upheaval to such a like publicity spectacle. And it does it it gives me smoke and mirrors. It gives me this is how we sneak the fascism in under the fanfare of getting rid of the old system. Because like, yeah, I we talked last time. We don't like fantasy eugenics, but <laughs> it, it, you don't just overhaul a system like that overnight with big shiny fanfare. There, there's going to be some mess. There's going to be some darkness. There's going to be some issues to work out. Like this is going to be a work of a government for years, not a single celebratory thing, unless you have some other system that you're ready to just pop out with no consultation right. and no input from the, the governed, you know, it's yeah. I love that you brought up the Royal wedding and the watch parties and the spectacle. Cause I think that that's like a really good, they're having these parties all over the place, all the blood, but so, like, who does this, all the people who are celebrating, there are, I just said, there are 100,000 roughly blood people in here, and they're the ones who are losing the most with this move. And there are, like, what, 2 million people who are, like, you know, second tier or below. So these people who did not have a lot of value and are suddenly going to be considered equal. So I do think it's very much a, here, watch this fabulous wedding and now we're going to give all of the peasants a treat mm-hmm. and we're going to take it away from the, the the rich people you know very very that was astute i think that that's exactly what they're doing they're saying now all of you who aren't special like us are going to get a special treat mm-hmm. and we have the numbers yes now and definitely dear, they, then they like us now because we did something for them so now we have the numbers because we have all the people. And now we have this political vacuum that we've just created. Yes. What happens in a political vacuum usually in a country? Someone's going to fill it. And Glennon, lovely, lovely, modest Glennon could have asked for houses or riches. And instead, she asked for all of you to be equal, just like her. How sweet. So that she can be How the government. Lovely. Because that <laughs> is she her ambition. Be. Yeah, so. exactly. She abolished the government made herself look good while doing it. And then it's like, okay, now we have a political vacuum. Guess who's going to fill it? It's me and my weaver friends. I honestly do support women's wrongs just a tiny bit with Glennon. (laughs) It's hard not to support. Yeah. It's pretty brilliant. (laughs) She's not stupid. Like she did it in a way. She really just completely destroyed a government. We're talking about incremental change. She really just, for her wedding. <laughs> Destroy the government entirely. Yeah. Like, I'm like, Glennon. That has been in existence for 38 generations. Just yes. knocks it over on her way to the cake. Uh, yeah. And she just registered for political change. And then she, and then she's like, and great. Now I and my friends are all going to take over. Cool. 
And she did it in a way that endeared her to two million people. Yeah, so basically over two-thirds of the population. She's fucking Evita right yeah. now. <laughs> yes. Great comparison. That's what she reminds me of. It's Evita. I mean, it didn't really end well for Evita. She's Evita. And so how do we think Punch Card Lady is going to feel about this who has let's 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 also like go back and and i'm gonna say one thing that i feel like these books do not hold up great with there is a lot of fat phobia there's a lot of like body shaming stuff um and i don't think we've seen it as much in this series yet it will occasionally pop up it pops up more in her other series and it's something that definitely didn't age well for me um but you know like punch card first counselor is often described as like short and squat and Generally, terms that are not particularly complimentary. She's plain. She's like a brick house. She's just, she's generally not, you know, refined or not like wonderful blooded Glennon, who was lovely and lithe and graceful and beautiful. So I feel like there's a lot of, um, is this the daughter-in-law this woman wants? <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably she some, fucked up. Yeah, I bet she is regretting ever taking uh Avri into her service at this point because of now what's happened to her son. <laughs> I feel like they've convinced her this is all her idea. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, and she's like, How did I get here? I thought that I was in control for the last fifteen years, but why do I hate everything? Mm-hmm. So she thinks she's got control of Glennon. We clearly do not agree with her. I don't agree no. at all. Glennon might yeah, not have it, made her full move yet. Glennon might still be in, in her dormant waiting mode, but like she's in waiting mode. She's not dormant. Not for real. Oh, no, because now they have a vacuum. Now she has an opportunity. Yeah. So it's going to be when the wedding happens. So that hasn't happened yet. We're building up to that moment. The brilliant thing is, though, she's married to her son. So any power grabbing that she does benefits her son as well. So it's going to look more natural. It's going to look like, oh, well, I would want him to have this anyway. Consolidating power for, you know, the first counselor's grandchild. Right? It's like it is. She has some room to maneuver in there, but I guess it's going to be. Um, how soon this first counselor wants to give up power to the next generation. And I can't imagine it's, I mean, we just watched this uh, coronation, you know, at what, uh, how old is Charles? 80? Is Glennon going to wait until she's Good 80? Fuck. <sighs> yeah, no, because definitely this, this, this first counselor murder punch card lady uh, is described in all kinds of very unflattering terms, which would imply, and she's very, uh, small-minded. She's very petty. She's very obsessed with her immediate prestige. She is not going to be abdicating before her dying breath. Like, absolutely not. No way. She's no. going to Queen Elizabeth it? Absolutely. Yeah. She's going to be there, like, half senile and, like, shitting herself. I'm like, no, give me the box! Like They're going to have to, like, uh, invent new jubilees. Yeah, like... You're going to have to invent new Which jubilees. means that Glennon is going to have to overthrow her mother-in-law. Which shouldn't really be particularly hard, but she's going to have to do it. Well, that's one person. Or kill her. I mean, I really, all that she has to do is kill her. Yeah, basically. Right? Which she can probably like, do with her mind and make it at look this like, point. And make it look like it wasn't, like it was natural. Yeah, it's just an aneurysm. She's an old lady. Just... And I mean, she's magic. Yeah, exactly. Do they have that ability? I would think so. I mean, Glennon's strength of personality would probably manifest the ability if it doesn't exist already. I mean, apparently you can just make her sad. We've definitely seen, we've heard about healer mages. So I'm assuming healer mages have the ability to impact 
your physiology somehow. So if that's a, a skill you have, you probably can do the opposite with it, right? Right, right, right. yeah. Well, I mean, it's like in Wheel of Time, the healers, the yellows are also the best torturers. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it makes sense. You know how the human body works. You don't have to waste time with parts that won't break down easily. You can go right for the most easily broken ones. Yeah. Or Semarag's the doctor. Yeah. Totally. There you go. Yeah. I'm feeling like mother-in-law is not long for this world. No. <laughs> and it's going to be, I feel like it's going to be a passing. They're going to be like, oh, she died of getting pregnant being sad like something like that 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 apparently seems to be we we love dying of sadness (laughs) yeah i feel like it's gonna be we'll know that glennon did it we'll know like in our hearts we'll know glennon was behind it because apparently she is boss b but i feel like yeah that mother-in-law's gone and it's gonna be like really glennon is currently girl bossing at an appropriate and exact distance from the sun. Right, <laughs> yeah, like right. Ky- Ky- Kylette's next. We'll like, yes. you know. That, that's my assumption. I'm just assuming we get Kylette. Yes, so yes. Kylette next. And at some point in there, in passing, someone's going to be like, you know, she died. The first counselor <laughs> died. Yeah, like, totally. The flu. Isn't that weird? Just that woke so up dead weird. one day. Mm, moving on. Now I want to know where these cousins are, though. Those cousins. It's a mystery. That is definitely a question. I, I, I will. I'm going to leave this. I'm going to. I'm going to start to wrap us up here. I'm going to leave that for, um, hopefully, our wonderful listeners to come tell us on the Discord, which you will find the link to in our description. Where do you think those cousins are? And is Glennon's wedding present awesome? And what are you going to get abolished for your wedding? <laughs> um, I'm putting this on all of us now. <laughs> yeah. What are we, what reforms are we making for our wedding? Now that we've talked about incremental change and hope and all this stuff, fuck that. Yes. Actually, we can yes. all register for societal change. How amazing. Great. So yes, everybody, please come and chat with us about Sarah. If you ship it, if all of your thoughts on incremental change and sex work and everything else, we will be hanging out on the Discord. Um, I will have my family tree, expanded family tree there. I will happily answer questions about who's related to who. Um, and for next week, we are reading the Kylette section, which is pages 153 to 206 in the ebook. So get ready. Oh, look at me being right. <laughs> you are being very right. And this is our fourth and last of our introductory things. So after Kylette, we're going to part two of the book, which is where it's just sets off. It rip roars. Shit's going down. Oh, Shit is boy. Going down oh, in boy. Part two. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm like excited. Okay. I didn't know she was the last one. Yeah. Shit's gonna, shit's gonna pop off. I'm, I'm getting ever more excited. This is very fun. <laughs> this is convincing me even more that this is some kind of weird family feud. And now I'm worried that shipping it means I'm shipping incest, mm. which again, I will only do in House of the Dragon. Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell you either way. I'm just going to own my mistakes. I'm just going to own it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it could be that they are siblings. It could be that they're cousins. It could be we literally never find out who Colin is. It could be anything in between. Love it. Oh, fantasy. I wish it weren't so possible. (laughs) I wish that that where it falls on that spectrum had to do with whether or not you should ship them. But, you know, (laughs) fantasy gonna fantasy, so. Fantasy gonna fantasy. Gluttons for punishment. That's us. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. If you want to keep gabbing with us, our social media and contact details, like Bree said, are in the episode description. Until next time, have a very nuanced day. Thank you.